we started to, and this is so this is a true story it wasn't one person or two it was we were all getting multiple people that we you know you gotta remember it's beyond a year now 200 plus episodes that we had already impacted so much they were like you changed my life or you helped my 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 relationship with this person or i lost all this weight or now i don't think this i mean they were just telling us all this great stuff and they're like I want to give you guys money because you don't ask for anything. What can I, what can I, can you start a Patreon so I can donate? We were, that was literally what we, we were getting messages like that. And that's when we said, okay, we have given so much free content that people are now trying to just give us money. To me, it was like, okay, now I'll feel good about trying to monetize a product because then I feel like, damn, maybe half the people will buy it from us just because they won't even use it. They'll just buy it because they want to support us. And that's exactly what happened. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Higher Standard Podcast, where we give you ultra-premium, unfiltered truth when it comes to building your wealth and curating the lifestyle of your dreams. No games, no drama, and no shenanigans. I am your host, Chris Nahibi, and I'm here to help you distill the immense amount of information and disinformation out there on the interwebs and give you the opportunity to choose a higher standard for yourself. There are no gurus here, and no one gives a damn about how wealthy you look. I'm an attorney and a banker, amongst other things. Does that mean you should listen to me? Hell no. This is just full disclosure that while we talk about money, wealth, law, investing, and a lot of related topics, you should always speak to your own advisors for an opinion tailored to your unique investment perspective. I am obligated to tell you that nothing contained in this show is in fact legal or investment advice and is being provided solely for entertainment purposes. So sit back, relax your mind, and get ready for a different kind of podcast where we elevate your baseline in crispy, high-resolution audio. This isn't a different standard. It's the higher standard. Hey there, everyone. It's the higher standard. It's your host, Chris, and... Your co-host, Saeed. He keeps putting the word co-host on it because everybody in the reviews section... That's fine. I mean, I'm a co-host. Keeps, keeps cool. labeling the co-host. Yeah, so, exactly. But it's not about you. Right. It's about Adam Schaefer. For those of you who happen to find this podcast from Adam uh, telling everybody on his podcast, the number one fitness podcast in the world, Mind Pump, uh, about us, welcome, and we appreciate you. We actually went up to San Jose. It was awesome. Such an awesome time there. The entire team, Adam in particular, was amazingly gracious. We had to spend time with him and with Doug. And we got to interview Adam about the business behind Mind Pump. He's very open, very forthcoming with everything, and I was at, I was pleasantly surprised. Um, what you do? Wow. Yeah, I didn't I didn't I didn't know what to expect going up there, but it was it was really cool. They were really cool and willing to help us in any capacity, um, ask as many questions as we wanted. Uh, really, really cool guys. I know I've been following them for about two years, and you said you've been following them for about. Five or essentially six the beginning, man. Like I, beginning. I followed them when they first got started. I was just looking for a fitness podcast, and I, I don't really know mm -hmm. how I connected with them. I think I was just searching, and that's just what came up. And right, I was at the time. It just sounded like a bunch of guys who were having a good time, uh, who really knew a lot about something that I wanted to learn about. So right, it kind of made sense. And to see how their business has scaled, it's kind of mind blowing to see that they they've gone from their humble beginnings mm -hmm. to this wonderfully amazing studio. Yeah. Oh to crushing it on the down. I think he said it was like doing like almost almost or at 10 million a month in downloads. Somewhere around there, right. That's that's an impressive number. I know. And it's also really cool to see after having our conversation with them 
seeing as how he started off as a physical trainer into managing gyms to starting the studio, how the definition of success for him and his team has changed over those years and how he's been able to scale, like you said, is really impressive. I think the most impressive thing about the whole the whole trip for me, honestly, was the fact that he actually didn't think you were fat. Yeah, he that, came in. Yeah, uh, yeah. He, he came we're going to have to soundbite that, get a clip for that. And I mean, you wore a nice double XL, triple XL shirt to cover your fat. So <laughs> we won't go there. It was, it was a double XL. I hate you so much. <laughs> but uh, it was a great time, man. All right. Well, before Saeed gives away the show and the rest of my wardrobe, let's jump into this awesome interview with Adam with a cameo uh, from Doug as well. Uh, it was truly a fun one. And we hope you enjoy it as much as we did. It is long. So buckle up, buckle up, strap in. It's a fun one, too. Yep. Enjoy it. All right, kids, we are back. This is The Higher Standard. With me, I have the chubbiest host of all, co-host Saeed. Hi, everybody. Well, that's great intro, as <laughs> always. And we have a special guest, the one, the only Adam Schaefer. Uh, I just want to, I do want to defend Saeed a little bit. I really expected you to be a lot fatter. Yeah. I really did. I'm okay with the I, jokes. I, I, really, right. Yeah, I was like, dude, that guy looks hella good. What's yeah, he talking about? What's like, the Chris has been exactly. giving you such a hard Wait, time. He's wearing all black. Like, yeah. That's the most slimming <laughs> color. Yeah, exactly. yeah. He's, he's figured that out, huh? He yeah, figured yeah, that yeah, out, this, exactly. the slimming look. It's, right? it's the pot it. calling the kettle black. Yeah, right? right? <laughs> or the it's pot calling the kettle fat is what he's calling it. There you go. Don't let that sell into it. So, Adam, I got to tell you, we both have been a huge fan of Mind Pump, which it has blown up massively in the last couple of years. Uh, it has become somewhat of a cultural phenomenon, at least as far as I'm concerned. In the, in the fitness community, you are number one in the world, right? I mean, you guys are big. Yeah, we've, we've, we're there as far as the fitness. I think of us as a, a big fish in a small pond, right? So, we got, we got pretty big in the fitness space, which was always the goal, right? Um, uh, none of us had any mainstream uh like ideas that we were going to be on television or that we wanted to be in everybody's uh in everybody's living room or whatever it was really like can we become uh one of the most dominant voices in the fitness space because when we all got together we kind of saw uh that we didn't like the way people were communicating health and fitness and it's the same way it's been communicated for so many years and we wanted to disrupt that you know, we're all kind of like that but there's so much like business so you, you did you go into this as friends or was this like a solely like we know this is a business that can be dominated? What, how was your thought process going into? Okay, it? so we're all so we all have our own like kind of backgrounds, right? And we're all very different. Uh, Justin and I did have a friendship before. So Justin and I's friendship goes back over fifteen years now. So we go back. I actually hired him straight out of college. So Justin came out uh, with his kinesiology degree. Um, at that point in my career, I was managing gyms, and I hired him. He quickly became uh, my like right hand man. He became an, my assistant within within a year. He was one of my top trainers, and what he, he we were so different. And I, this is like five six years deep into my career into managing. So I started to piece together what made like a really good assistant for me, which was finding someone that had the skills that I didn't have. And that we would work really well. If I, originally, I would promote somebody to that role that was like me. And I saw that that didn't give me. I that didn't takes a it. lot of perspective, though, to see what you don't have and what he has. No, you're right. And that was uh, so I, and I'm big on emotional intelligence and self-awareness. And that's a whole nother like rabbit hole we can go down to as far as reading and learning all that stuff. And I, I quickly learned that 
having somebody who was not like me and ha- and actually possessed my weaknesses. And Justin is exactly that. Like he is uh, everything that I'm weak at. I'd say he's strong at his weaknesses are my strengths. And so we made a great team. He went on to go uh, do other things after years of working with me uh, and went off to build his own business. And then we always stayed in contact. So if I had somebody like him who was like an assistant, we built more than just a business relationship. We became friends and we'd always stay in contact and he'd come, you know, stop by whatever I was. I was always doing something business wise. And he'd be like, hey, you know, you want to do something? He'd always try to get me like to do some business with him. Well, when I was on my way out from the medical marijuana uh, industry, he had just happened to come get lunch with me and was kind of pulling on my shirt again. Like, hey, you want to do something? I said, you know, it's funny that you're coming around right now asking that is I'm, I'm ready to move out of what I'm doing and I want to get back into health and fitness. And, you know, I have some ideas. And so we shared these ideas and we actually had this idea to develop an app and it was basically we were gamifying fitness and I had the money and capital at the time oh, to throw money to. What's really interesting is there's a company called uh, Black Box Fitness. Does that sound right, Doug? Something like that. Yeah, yeah I think it's called Black, Virtual Black Box Fitness. We actually just interviewed someone who literally has created what our vision was. I mean, oh, wow. it, like, just now. Yeah. Is it's it the, doing well? Uh, no, I think it's barely getting tried. Yeah. It's got a lot of money behind it. It will do well because the people that we know that are behind it. Um, I think it'll eventually catch on. And I think that was part of our problem. I think we were a little bit ahead of our time when we were trying to do because this is like eight, nine years Can ago. You imagine that during the pandemic. Oh, my God. Oh, it would have. And I think it will eventually crush like because I, I the, the trick to apps is definitely the, the gamifying aspect because tool apps are very unprofitable. We learned that through the process of building apps. And uh, I, I thought it was a brilliant idea. It was just sucking money like crazy. We were like spending money on it like crazy. And it just took forever to build it. So that is Justin and I. Oh, Black Box VR. That's what it is. Thank you, Doug. We have that relationship. And so I always knew he made a good partner. And we were already kind of doing business together with the building the app thing. Sal and Doug, they know each other because Doug hired Sal almost a decade plus ago to train personal train him. And when Doug was training with Sal, he was constantly telling Sal like, oh, you remind me of Tony Robbins and you're just a great speaker. Yeah, he'd always tell him stuff like that, you know, feel, feeding his massive ego already, right? So, so just airing him up even more. And, uh, and he would tell him that. And, and uh, he said, you know, if you ever want to get into like online sales, um, I'd love to help you with that because Doug had like a side passion of like looking into marketing and he'd already taken some courses and, you know, he also loves to play around with cameras and audio. So he kind of had some, he kind of geeked out on that stuff on the side. I do too. Shout out to Doug. Yeah. 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 So Doug, Doug, Doug had that background. And so he's, and so Sal comes to him one day and says, Hey, I have this idea for a program that we could create together and we'll sell online. So they started building Maps Anabolic, which is our foundational, our, our core product. I didn't realize you guys started with that. Yeah, they yeah. were wow. before I own, us. I own that one so too. we were not involved in wow. that. Justin and I were not involved in that program. All Doug and him actually built that. Comp- why Justin and I were off, and this is before we all got together and met each other. Justin and I are off trying to build this app. Sal and Doug are off over here building this digital product, Maps Anabolic. Well, the irony of how we got connected was that Sal and I actually have all kinds of mutual friends because we worked for the same company and we were top performers, but the company was so big that we actually never really crossed paths. But we both have worked with each other's friends and mentors. And, so you and knew of each other. We knew of each other because right. every time that I would run into someone who knew Sal, they would always say like, do you know Sal? And I'd be like, oh, I've heard of him. And this, and then they're like, you got to meet him. You guys would like, <laughs> you guys would hit it off. And that, what I didn't know was he was being told the same thing like over a decade ago, like you got to meet Adam. Have you met Adam? Like you guys would. So we had these mutual friends that were always trying to link us. And so Sal finds me on Facebook 
And he goes, you know what? I'm going to reach out. I'm going to message Adam and see what he thinks about this product. Like he, he, he respected me from my, my business knowledge and a lot of our mutual friends. That's what they would talk about. It's like, you know, Adam's really savvy when it comes to this stuff. And Sal's really savvy when it comes to this stuff. And so he's like, you know, I'm going to run it by him. So he DMs me or messaged me, inboxes me on Facebook and shows me this digital product that they created and said, what do you think about it? And when I looked at it and saw what him and Doug had already kind of created and I saw the marketing behind it, I'm like, oh my God, this is brilliant. Because at that time, it just wasn't the messaging that was out in the space. It wasn't sexy. It wasn't, they weren't using transformation photos to try and get you to buy something like that. It was, it was the truth and it was the direct. And it was like, oh, I love this. And it, and it and I'm so shocked that this, I, I totally thought this came after you guys started no, the podcast. No, I, no. I am so thrown off of the timeline right now. No, yeah. So this is actually how it all went down. And I, and I actually, another funny part was that even before the, the showing each other part, we were actually communicating a little bit back and forth about marijuana because at that time in Sal's life, his wife, his, his, his uh, last wife was his, his mother-in-law was going through cancer. Oh, and wow. so he wow. was doing Jeez. a lot of research on the benefits of cannabis. I'm also in the thick of cannabis. So at that time I started up two of the first medical marijuana clubs in the Bay area. And while I'm doing that, he starts talking to me about cannabis. And quickly I learn how smart he is and what a nerd he is. Because at that time, it was very taboo already to be talking positive benefits about marijuana. Right, We're talking yeah, 10 plus exactly. years ago. And definitely, if you were in the health and fitness space, you weren't right. talking about it positively. And so I'm like, oh my God, another fitness dude who's buff and fit, knows his shit, and then is talking positive about marijuana. So we kind of geeked out on the science of marijuana originally. Right. Okay. Well, he's objectively open, right? I mean, so many people were, were labeling things without really understanding them because there's a political bias or something. Yeah, and, there's a, and a dark I was, stigma to it. And right. I was blown away by, uh, this is when I was quickly, uh, you know, blown away by his intelligence. Like he was, he was, I'm th in the thick of marijuana. I had already, first thing I did was go down to Barnes and Noble, buy all these books because I didn't know what the hell, I didn't know anything about it before I started and started reading and studying and learning. And then I actually became a farmer and grew and did the whole process. And like, so I actually learned quite a bit. And this, this guy that's talking to me, Sal, I was blown away by how much more he knew than me. And I'm like, damn, fitness guy knows more about me. I'm in this stuff. And so we kind of bonded on that first. And then came the maps anabolic, like, hey, check this out. Tell me what you think. And so when I saw it, I said, you know what, let's uh, let's meet, let's meet, let's all get together at my house. And like, I'm doing this with my buddy. I'm doing this with my buddy, Justin. You're doing that. Let's just all get together and see if there's some synergy in what we're all doing and, and just meet. And I really just selfishly wanted to kick it with him and meet him because I already like, I already could tell I would like him. And yeah, I could tell no he was harm and no foul at that point. Yeah, right? Right. Exactly. Gonna go on, yeah, so. yeah, let's link up. And so we get together at uh, at my house and we're all there. And it was like, and I'm sure you guys have experienced this in your life when you meet somebody and like just the conversation is so, it's not awkward. You get, there's so much synergy, yep, you're just talking exactly. about, and it was just, just fire. I mean, for like four hours, nobody took a breath. And actually at that time, Katrina had the awareness because she was, I, and I didn't know this till afterwards. She was so enthralled by the conversation that she hit record on the iPad and was no standing, in the, standing no in the kitchen. Kidding. I know we got to find this because everybody asked me, where's it at? Because we have it somewhere. She hit record because she was so enthralled by the conversation that we were all having. The guys leave, you know, we dap up. See you guys later. Yeah, we'll stay in contact. And they all walk out. Katrina was like, oh, my God, that was so amazing. And I was like, so amazing. She's like, the stuff you guys were talking about was so and her and I had already been together for a while. So the stuff you guys were talking about was so fascinating. Like it was such a good conversation. 
And I remember, I don't remember if it was Sal or Doug or who said it first, but somebody like at one point said like, hey, we should throw this on a, a, on a podcast. And at that time, um, like I don't know as much like what their, like each one of their relationship with podcasting was, but I was aware of it because I had a friend before who had introduced it to me, but on the, for politics, I was listening to like some political podcasts back then. But you've never done like an interview or anything at that point? No. Never, never done anything. Oh, I don't know. It like, wasn't I don't, nearly as popular as it is now. Not at all. Right? Not at all. Yeah. And, and actually, I actually, what all I knew of it was I knew they existed. I knew you had it on Apple, but I still at that point, I think you need to have all kinds of advertising. I think you need to have like a team. I think I thought you had to work for a network. Like I didn't real. And Doug was the one who knew that he knew the logistics. He's like, nah, we could do it. And we could throw it up ourselves. And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, I got the equipment and everything. And so we're all like, all right, fuck it. Let's just all meet together. Let's throw this thing on, a, throw it out there and see if it, it will do anything. Right. And we all met at my mother-in-law's house and recorded the very first podcast. And it really was, it was, uh, you know, it was really dynamic. And I think the stuff that we were having conversations about, uh, nobody in our space was really sharing this. And it was really kind of pulling the curtain back on, on how people make money in, in the fitness space. And that a lot of the information that you guys are receiving is coming from that place and not what's the best stuff for you. And we really, we didn't have like this oh, we're going to make this much money off of this. And then this is how we're going to monetize this. It was like, we actually came in with the attitude, which is also what has attracted me to your guys' podcast and what you're doing is I did, we just want to disrupt. Yeah, right. just, we, we all had good things going in. We already had money. We all were in a, a good place that we wasn't like driven that, oh, we needed to make a bunch of money. It was like, we see an opportunity to disrupt a space, a space that we're all very familiar with, that we love. Let's go in there and just shake shit up and see where it goes. And then we'll build a business later. So let's set the stage, too, because if I distinctly remember, like this was the, the pinnacle of like things like shreds online and these brands that I mean, some of which are now defunct, where it was all aesthetically. I mean, these people were photoshopping stuff. Their, their images were all tweaked and it was completely driven off this vanity and not so much the education. Right. I mean, we, there, there was a huge dynamic. So there. and I don't know if this is true or not, but we believe that we are responsible for that company tanking. And going. I also okay. believe you're responsible for it, but <laughs> from a legal perspective, I will say that's a rumor that I may feel. It right, exactly. Exactly. We're going to, we're going to stick with that. Uh, but I do know that was like, they were just the, and it was nothing personal, right? But they were just a perfect example of, of what we were, what we were all talking about. I mean, everything from the Photoshopping, the photos to the, the model in the fitness space for forever. And it still is today. Like the model to be successful in fitness is build a name for yourself, whether that be through fame on television, whether that be through competing, whether that be through magazine articles, whether it be through popularity, whatever it is, gain a network of people paying attention to you and then either partner with or create your own supplement line and then peddle supplements to people. And there, there's your residual. And then, and you may, and that's how you make millions of dollars in the fitness space. And that has been the model for, and you use things like transformation photos to show the before and afters. And they were just, they were exactly that. And they even took it to the extreme to where their athletes were Photoshopping their Instagram photos. And just, they were just, they were an easy, they were an easy target. And it wasn't really that we were targeting them to try and hurt the company at all. It was more like they're the perfect example. Well, it was just a compelling about. case of clear and obvious. They were my Dave Ramsey, basically. <laughs> I mean, they, were, they were just a clear case of what somebody is manipulating something. They weren't giving full disclosure. And instead of addressing it, they ignored everybody. They never really addressed any of the stuff that anybody came after them for at that period of time. I remember distinctly because I stalked all their accounts. And the and the <laughs> opposite for you guys, what drew me to your guys' channel 
is it just felt like the wealth of knowledge that you guys give away for what for free you know you're not you, it's on youtube everything and i mean i catch myself sending you guys videos and clips of friends that maybe aren't as enthusiastic as i am but it's like you got to check these guys out because the amount of information they're giving you for free no one's doing this so that that is the piece of the business model that i will admit that we all had the foresight in that like we knew the plan was we have between between the four of us we had enough knowledge to drown the competition in free valuable content and that's what we did we thought like okay let and and of course this is what we believed and then the idea of the podcast was let's go prove that let's go prove that we can give away more good free information than exists right now out there and then if we're right then we're going to gain a massive audience and then we'll piece together yeah, you exact, build the trust right? that's right yeah and so that was and by the way part of doing that with integrity was as we were building and trying to prove that we could do that, we had Maps Anabolic ready to sell and we never sold. So we had the product that Doug and, and they had already, they had already put it out online and they tried to sell it. I don't remember, Doug could probably tell me how many programs they actually sold before they got, we all got together, but they had already launched it to try and make money. And it really didn't make much whatsoever at that point. And they did some things, a couple of things that had some success, but not really. And Justin and I actually had some ebooks that we we tried to sell and some of that. But when we got together, the agreement was we're not going to try and monetize this thing right now. We're going to just try and see if we can truly build an audience through providing so much value that we drown the competition out. And that was the mission was and we didn't turn on monetization. And this is true story. Um, we were at the, the other pot, the other studio had already a year gone by. We'd already pumped out 200, maybe even 300 episodes. And at this point, we, we're, we're growing, we're, you know, pretty quick. And I remember all of us kind of like, okay, you know, is it, is it too early to start monetizing? Should we now, you know, you know, and there's a little bit of a disagreement, like, I think we should, ah, let's wait, let's wait. And we always, if there was one guy that was hesitant, you know, wait, 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 we'd all agree. Okay, let's still wait. Let's wait till we well, all your value feel. proposition. You don't want to sacrifice that That's for, right. for like a short term gain, right? That That's right. Authenticity and integrity in the market is... So there's a consistent theme with entrepreneurs, regardless of whatever business that they're in. They're clearly passionate about it, but authenticity and and the, this real chase and love for it, it's so consistent and pervasive in success. So it's it's no surprise to me that you guys had struggled with that. I can totally see that being a reality. It, 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 and honestly, like, luckily we were all older. We had all kind of been successful in, uh, elsewhere, and and we weren't like you know, in dire straits or needed the revenue to get by. Like, so I, I have to admit that that, that, that helps, right? Because I can't imagine if we were in a place where it's like we needed revenue because we had quit jobs and we didn't have any sort of financial- Like fi in a recessionary market. Well, yeah, yeah, right. Or, you know, what a lot of people don't know, we were all working still full-time when we were that first year still. So we were pumping out that content. We were meeting after all of us had put in eight hour, 10 hour days. Then we meet at night and we would work for three, three, four hours together and create this free content. And so and now, of course, we wanted to eventually get to the point where this thing could could carry us. But what made us finally decide that was when we all came in the studio one day and every guy in the room, so all four of us, had already were, was starting to receive either emails, DMs, messages from people that were actually just trying to give us money. So a DM is a direct message that happens on social media. Yeah, what media. is that exactly? <laughs> one day you get one of those accounts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's like mailing letters. Yeah, yeah it's okay, just so yeah, so we, yeah. we started, and this is so. This is a true story. It wasn't one person or two. It was we were all getting multiple people that we, you know, you got to remember, it's beyond a year now, two hundred plus episodes that we had already impacted so much. They were like. 
you changed my life or you helped my, my, my relationship with this person or I lost all this weight or now I don't think this. I mean, they were just telling us all this great stuff. And they're like, I want to give you guys money because you don't ask for anything. What can I what can I can you start a Patreon so I can donate? We <laughs> wow. were that was yeah. literally wow. what we, we were getting messages like that. Yeah. And that's when we said, OK, we have given that. so much free content that people are now trying to just give us money. To me, it was like, OK, now I'll feel good about trying to monetize a product because then I feel like, damn, maybe half the people will buy it from us just because they won't even use it. They'll just buy it because they want to support us. And that's exactly what and happened. still maintain what you were doing. It's still giving out all the free. So I want to unpack that too. I want to. So your mindset at that point in time is you guys know you have something at this point. You guys have collaboratively gotten together. You decide we're going to monetize it. Did you know from a business perspective what you wanted the end goal to look like? Did you know what Mind Pump was going to look like today then? Or was it still just one of those things that was a curiosity, if you will? Yes and no. Um, by that time, I mean, if you go all the way back, and I don't know if you've noticed on Instagram, I'm posting like throwback pictures and I'm putting captions and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> we we all are, uh, and I think you have to be a little bit in entrepreneurship, but you guys could probably relate to this. You have to be a little delusional. Like we really believed, one, we were that fucking good. Two, we were going to be massive. We are nowhere near what I think all of us from day one believed and thought we were going to go to. But that, and that sounds very narcissistic and there's probably a little bit of narcissism for sure there. But, I don't think so. I mean, your trajectory right, right. now is undeniable, I mean, especially well, the last exactly. couple of years, right? I mean, right. what we realized, what we, okay, so when you, and let's just take two to the biggest behemoths in our in our space, bodybuilding.com and Beachbody. Okay. Which both have fallen off massively in the in the real last couple of years, massively. And I'll do the talking shit for you because it's real. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. They have completely plummeted like the both Beachbody and Beachbody. Not as much, oh, but bodybuilding.com. Didn't, didn't bodybuilding.com get in some weird thing with Ty Lopez too recently? He or just something? bought them. What the fuck? Yeah. Ty Lopez bought them. We actually just yeah. had someone on the show. We talked all about uh, about bodybuilding.com. But so, OK, these are the two biggest platforms and money makers in our space. You're talking about a company that sold a bodybuilding.com originally sold for 500 million. You're talking about Beachbody that is that is cranking out 4 billion in revenue. Yeah, back in 2014 wow. P90X days. And, yeah. and what we 100% believe and saw was all of what they give. We believed we could provide better. Yeah, because there the, was not a doubt in our mind. The content, the information, the programming, everything they had to offer, we one hundred percent believed we had. That. And that, so that's when I say, when I and people are like, "Come on, did you really think you're going to be?" Yes, we believe we had that much more valuable content. It was just a matter of time. Could we get it? And could we get good at giving it out? And structure it, right? Yes. Yeah. And that we were very aware of, like, we were going to suck for a while. We're going to learn this marketing thing. Because what Beachbody does that's incredibly good and what we've learned from and value, they're a marketing machine. They've built, they've actually built, there's like an MLM. Like, so that's where, it, so they make $4 billion a year, I, I believe. $2 billion of that comes from their their MLM type of structure, which is basically getting, you know, trainers that aren't even really trainers underneath them that then sell their programs. And so, and then they're a marketing machine. They're just a marketing machine and very, and then supplements they attach to all that stuff. Body they never really successfully pivoted from the DVD days to the current, like, environment. They never really pivoted, I think, well. Yeah. Well, I think what happened was they had built such a large audience from that that by the time they needed to pivot, it was kind of too little too late because there were so many now mind pumps and other creators on YouTube that have already kind of moved in that direction. 
and I think they've just been kind of bleeding. They couldn't permeate. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And and then again, not to mention that you know now now inter, you know inter, introduce the Lane Nortons, the Elliot Hulses, the Athlean X's, the you have Mind Pump. You have these now. You're starting to get these other people that are putting out better content than what they, they were a marketing machine. They got there first, and they made. A, so we kind of thought like, listen. Do we think we're going to necessarily take Beachbody out or buy it? No. But if we can get a sliver right, exactly. of their business by providing a better service and yeah. better information, then we have a legit huge business. And so we we knew that. We knew that much. And we also knew that we were, again, going to probably suck and it was going to take some time and practice and throwing spaghetti on the wall until we started to piece it all together. But absolutely, we I think from the very beginning, we believed that it had that potential. Now, it is completely morphed into all different things that we've got going on and you know different revenue streams that are that i wouldn't have predicted or saw well, that's the meat i want to get into yeah. don't, don't, yeah, don't yeah. skirt over that yeah, we're, gonna, yeah. we're gonna get into detail yeah, on that. yeah. I'm, so I'm that, morbidly curious about the business that that's what you do right. and that, that's kind of your contribution on the side here it, and i am fascinated to hear all about how the revenue streams developed where you see those going and frankly from as much as, as I think as you identify as your persona on the show, clearly your investment background and your management background play a large role in where this brand has gone. I would say that, I mean, all all four guys, right, um, are they're all very, very smart and, and on the business and on the investing side. It's just neat. We all have different things that we're more passionate about. Um, if we all go home right now, everyone goes home, everyone reads, everyone's a big reader. And uh, and you were to look at what Doug's reading, what I'm reading, what Justin's reading and what Sal's reading. That's where things are a little bit different. Right. Sal is for sure going to be uh, deep into some st- science study. Um, and then Justin is for sure uh, like history, conspiracy theories. Like he, <laughs> he's definitely on that sports performance stuff. Like he's always on cutting edge stuff there. And then if you were to see what Doug and I are, it's probably, you know, entrepreneurship, leadership, uh, investing, uh, scaling like that. Th- that's where him and I probably geek out the most. But no Dave Ramsey, right, Doug? Uh, no. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just checking. So, yeah. So, I th- I mean, um, I definitely cannot take the credit uh, for like uh, at all the all the business investments and decisions that these guys have all made. It's It's been a collective decision. But. I just think that Doug and I are more passionate about it. And one of the things, and this did take years, and that's a whole story in itself, of uh, and maybe one of the hardest challenges is having four alpha leaders is uh, is allowing every guy to kind of, okay, you you take that. That's why I partnered with a beta. Yeah. <laughs> that worked out really exactly, well for me. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, listen, no, but- I mean, was that yeah, it was that even E Myth Revisited that like, gets into that, right? I mean, there's 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 a lot of um a lot of value and a, a lot of good reasons why by doing that is valuable as you if you and, and it is challenging to have four alpha leaders all leading one company it just doesn't normally happen that way and i think uh i think we we figured that out after a few years but at the beginning it was a little rough because we when we were small and it was so slow every time whether it be investing or a business pivot or you know taking on a new whatever it was we'd all get in a room together and yeah. it would, and it would, yeah. and, and it was fun. We liked that part. We'd hash it out. We'd argue. We'd yell at each other. Oh no, disagree. But it's not efficient though. Yeah, it wasn't efficient. It's not efficient. And, yeah. and and it was okay when we were moving really slow, but then there there probably came a time there that I don't know, maybe six months to a year that I would say it really bogged the business down when we were starting to accelerate. And it, and there was a little bit of growing pains there of you know every person kind of letting. It was more about letting go. Right. Like every guy could every person in the uh, the four owners 
could handle any aspect of the business. But there, it was really recognizing that, okay, even though I know I can do that and I'm used to doing that because I'm a leader, I'm going to let Sal do that because he's better at it. That has been my biggest struggle in growth and business is, is knowing how and when to let go. And frankly, I've made the mistake of, of letting go with the wrong people before. So especially when you're scaling a company, particularly a large company like what you guys are scaling at this point in time, it becomes it becomes an emotional connection because the company is like your child. And then trusting somebody else, even if it's somebody you started the company with, with that is it's it's, it's an emotional connection. It's oh, you were you were playing to Doug's heartstrings right now. He's, he's, <laughs> that's why he's over he's over there yeah. gr- because <laughs> yeah. this is Doug's. So uh, this is also what makes Doug and I I think a really good uh, partnership together is because I'm actually really good at that. Um, I'm really good at figuring something apart out of the business, being very good at it, being better than what I think the anybody else I'll ever hire at it, but then also being able to walk away and be okay with it and say, okay, now you take this, this is what you do. I've learned to accept, and I have had this conversation with Doug before, it's like, you just, Doug, you just got to accept. They'll never do it as good as you, bro. They'll never- There's yeah. truth in that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. there you go. They're, they're never they don't gonna, need to all the time That's either. right, that's right. right. Because, and and what, I, what I always say to him is that you are so damn, you're too damn valuable for me to 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 be wasting your brain power on this thing that I know you're it's your baby and you don't want to let go of and you and you built it to where it's at but I need you over here that this is this is a big potential revenue stream for us and I need all of your brain power with me over here and it's killing me that you haven't let go of this thing over here that and and I get it though because what he's doing he's it's not like he hasn't hired or trained or developed people is he's getting frustrated because he's like god damn it I can, and, and he, I know him he's like I can still knock it out I can do it yeah I can right. do it at the end of the I'm, night I'm the same Doug's way in, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no it's true and, I, and 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 no offense Doug I have a Doug my Doug's name is Sarah and Sarah's the same way. And how many times you have you heard this conversation? As we've grown in scale, Sarah's been taking on more and more of a role. And now she she handles so much volume. But that's a constant conversation that we're having where Just she expects. to delegate, right? And I get it because she she is such a workhorse and so amazing at her job that from a production standpoint, she wants to give she wants someone to give her what she gives me. And I don't know that that's ever going to happen. The, the amount of love that's there is just not going to happen. It won't happen. It's just like uh, no one will ever talk to my customers and the emails that come in with the same compassion and empathy and and skill that I would do it with. But the, the truth is that what it takes to answer those 100 emails is hours in the day. And yes, it makes a difference in more revenue. And I know for sure if I answered those hundred emails that I would squeeze out potentially, you know, 15 to 25% more revenue for the business. But the business is that big now that it's better for me to lose that 15%, except that they're going to do the best they can, which is subpar compared to what me or Doug could do, because that part of that time allocated over to these other things that we're trying to scale within the business is so much more valuable than that. And it's, it is, it's like you said, it, you hit it perfect. It's like having a child and, and letting them go. It's got to be the feeling that every mother has when their kid hits 18 and they kick him out the door. It's just like, but at that point, you've done your best job to raise them, get to that. And you just got to accept that they're probably going to go make mistakes and fall on their face. And they may not make every decision the same way you would, but you, you, you did what you needed to do to, to give them the best advantage they can. I think it's the same way in business as you scale parts of it up is you have to be okay with, okay, I laid the foundation for this department. I set out what it's supposed to look like, how we're supposed to execute it. I think I hired 
who's the best person for this job. And it doesn't matter that they're never going to probably live up to my expectations so long as they can get it done. And now I can put my energy somewhere else. And it's choosing where you want your attrition, right? It, it's it's the same war of attrition that you're, you're going to fight with anything else with my hairline before the hair transplant and all that stuff. It, it's one of those things where you just have to choose where you're willing to take those losses to focus on the kind of the bigger numbers. And I think it is like we, we grow up wanting to compete and wanting to win at everything. But sometimes the little wars we're trying to compete, those don't really matter. Those aren't that's that's ego talking. It's pride. It's not really the, the smartest business sense to right sides. Well, I think this is and, and the reason why I think I'm good at it today is because there was a period of my life from young teens all the way to almost 30 where I was really good at uh, starting a new thing, a new business idea, and uh, actually having pretty good success, enough success that I provided a, a an income for myself or whoever was with me at that time. Like So basically, I was really good at building a six-figure business. I could get to eighty to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year pretty quick. You know, within a year or so of, of a new project, a new business, like that. I had, I had, I, it, it, obviously, if I committed to that, and that's not saying I hadn't failed at other things, but I mean, I was pretty good at that. I would say, but I always would hit this wall there, and I and I realized, go back to your self awareness uh, thing, that point that you made, is that this it was it was my fault because I I wanted my hands in too much, and I needed to learn to let go parts of my business so I could then focus on something else so I could truly scale it. And I think it's one of the biggest hurdles for anybody scaling any business is that ability to let go parts of your your baby. And I mean, that's that's tough to do, man. And it it took me years of kind of hitting that brick wall of like, okay, where, what now? And, then I'm, and I look at my business and I'm like, and what happens sometimes is you've tied yourself to so much of it that sometimes you can't let go anymore because you've now become the face of your business that how do I replace myself or how do I scale out of this? And so that was another thing that I really loved about our partnership was we also kind of had the foresight to that is like when we build this thing, um, it, we don't want to build it around us. Now, the outsider looking in may think that and may go like, you know, like, oh, I listen because I, I really like you, Sal. Or I really like you, Adam. But when we were building it, we always kind of had that foresight of like when we and to, the, to this day, when we make a decision on a direction we're going to go, the, the final question is, you know, can we remove ourselves? How long do we have to do this before we can give it to somebody else and actually have nothing to do with it? And if we can't clearly define that we're not going to even pursue it, no matter how much money it is. It could be very tempting. Like, for example, I think I told you this, Chris. Um, we probably leave anywhere between three on the low end to $9 million a year uh, on the table by not doing the, you know, seminar formula. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I know you know this because you come after it. Yeah. I do all the time. That's yeah. like a low hanging fruit for us. Like yeah. It's low hanging fruit for everybody. And that, that's that's where you lose the authenticity, though. That's where you're going to lose your base. Those those original people who said, I love what these guys are doing and who they are. You lose that authenticity. And granted, it's an easy money grab. But for how long? Yeah. And, and that and none of us feel good about that. I mean, we I understand and we've all talked about this. Like, I understand the statistics in being successful in business. And I just wouldn't feel none of us would feel good sleeping at night knowing we're making millions of dollars off of selling these kids dreams to make a million dollars himself, knowing that 90 percent of them in the room will never do that. Yeah. And, and look, let's be clear here for everybody who's listening. And the, the reality is, is that anybody who puts on a seminar is going to have a thousand people, let's just say on average, come to the seminar. If it's a larger one, there's a probability that anybody in that room is going to wind up walking away, being becoming successful. 
it's not because they're at the seminar and they're going to be propped up as, as the representative of, oh, I made this person successful. Well, that's not real. Right. You don't know if they got a leg up. You don't know where what they've already started in the process. I and mean, you don't so know how true it is. It. Social right. media is all entirely fake. Mm-hmm. I could go down this rabbit hole for hours, but I do want to hear about how this business has evolved into other businesses with the same core group. Like, I want to hear about how the product lines developed and, and, and really how the data, I mean, if you don't mind sharing. Yeah, how, yeah, how no, well, and, and, you know, and you will have to stop me if I bounce around, but we we'll, never we'll start, we'll start yeah, it, yeah, uh, yeah. we'll start it really broad. So there's, there's three companies that we, and every, and everything that we do, we are equal partners in. 25% across. Which I love. It's amazing. Uh, yeah. it, you, you, which, and, it, and it, like this, it warms my heart even t- sharing this part because I think one of the coolest things and maybe, and, and I don't even know if he knows it because I don't even know if I've, I've shit told him this, but I thought it was in really cool when Sal got his book deal. So Sal was published by Hachette, which is a massive publisher. Um, I believe he was paid 150, 170, somewhere on there, Doug. 160. 160. So he was paid $160,000 to write that book. I have zero role in anything that had to do with that or anything that, that it can, and that is I make I made 25% of that money uh-huh. wow good for him that's wow. and that's kind of the relationship that we all have is that that's we, the ethos right there oh yeah. yeah and and it's like uh that is something that I, it just speaks to I think the the bond the relationship the the way we operate like that's and, rare, man. and by the way if he would have taken it I wouldn't have said anything yeah Say it, I'm not giving you 50% of my money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just tell you right come now. On, come on. It's not, not going to happen. Yeah. But so, so point of that, like we, anything that any of us pretty much go and do, regardless if it requires any of the other guys' help, we are 25% uh, partners in. So there's three companies. Uh, there's Maps Fitness Products. Uh, there's Mind Pump Media. And then there's uh, Mind Pump Investments. So uh, Maps Fitness Products is the uh, all the digital programs that we sell. So everything that we do with that uh, gets lumped under that, um, including, or excuse me, not including. And, and then you have Mind Pump Media, which is all advertising revenue. So all of our partnerships or relationships that we've built, like even with uh, the testosterone therapy, even with our Dr. Cabral and the holistic health side, like any partnerships or advertising is all umbrellaed underneath Mind Pump Media. And then investments have been everything from our uh, stock portfolio together to all of our real estate uh, investments that we have. And then in this last year and a half, we are angel investors in eight different companies. So that's all. Some of which have done really well, right? right. They're doing well, yeah. you know, yeah. until we can. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So I try not to get too excited about that because of how much all that's been inflated in the last couple of years. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see if that comes. But, you know, and we and we really stuck with, for the most part, uh, stuff in our space that we felt pretty confident because I, I probably wouldn't recommend to anybody to invest the way we did. And we can talk about um, how we you leverage the podcast too to do that so we're kind of playing with house money with a lot of that stuff too which makes it really cool so it's not a lot of risk but those are the those are the three core businesses um and all of them now um yeah all of them in, are in the millions right so everything is uh, is north of that now as far as either if the, you talk about the real estate portfolio what it's worth if you talk about what each one of those individually um is worth they're all up there uh, revenue wise most profitable stuff, though, is, you know, your, your the digital programs, once we write them and make them, they're evergreen. So there's no and that was something that so another uh, common model in our space, especially if you were going to sell, is they want to see the um, residual income coming in from like, you know, your, uh, you know, ETF or whatever like that, right? Your electronic transfer funds where people are paying monthly fee to have access. 
we stayed away from that model. Again, this had, was, goes back to the question about uh, can we see ourselves scaling ourselves out, removing ourselves? So we never wanted to, even though this would be another kind of money grab, charge like a $9.99 a month, or which most fitness people do this. This is what they do is they, they either build an app or to have access to all their content. Uh, Lane does this. I know you guys are friends with Lane. Lane does this with his carbon app, makes really good money doing that. Um, but what it requires is him to constantly be improving and staying connected to that. And we always wanted the ability to be able to remove. And so I wanted to be able to, we wanted to be able to sell products or sell things that didn't require us constantly having to improve and, and actually keep doing content month in and month out to keep that residual income always coming in. Plus he also loses the, the upside from a financial perspective that you guys have, where he has this consistent subscriber count, unless there's a boost in subscribers that happens on a monthly basis, which is really deferred comp. You guys can sell more packages in a single month and create significantly more revenue depending on how you position yourself in the market from a business perspective. And I also know the, the in the fitness space, I know the numbers on uh, how long someone continues that. So the average person that has a subscription model service in fitness, they will actually use that service for three months. And then they'll pay for it for an additional six to seven months before they cancel. Yeah, I believe so that. So we knew those Sounds numbers accurate. beforehand. Being in the gym business, we had to know all that stuff. And so when you do the math on, okay, somebody who's charging $9.99 a month, $9.99 a month or $29.99 a month, okay, well, then you've, you've got that revenue for 12 months, but then they normally fall off after that, where we have, I don't know, 13 or 14. How many programs are we at now, Doug? 13, 14, somewhere? I think around 18. Or 18. Oh, geez. 17 or 18, yeah. Yeah, so 17, 18 programs. Uh, most people that buy, buy multiple programs. Very yeah. few people buy one program of ours and that's it. That was, that was me. I bought the RGB bundle. There you go. So, you know, most people own several programs. So you do the math on You can three tell he hasn't been using it. <laughs> yeah, I got that, that golfer's yeah. elbow. Yeah. That me back. <laughs> I got you. I have a Gain video too for much that. Strength, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So we, we stayed away from that. Um, so we've built it to where it's, uh, you know, one-time purchase and then you have that program for life. And so uh, we stayed away from that model. Model, but that is the the biggest money producer is the Maps Fitness product. So program sales um, is the most, and it's about double the revenue that uh, advertising is now. Which, by the way, when we started the business originally, the, there was no desire to advertise at all. We weren't going to do any sponsorship. In fact, when we started gaining traction, uh, we started to get supplement companies and companies that would reach out to us that wanted to pay us to do advertising on the show. We all agreed that one, we didn't want to do advertising. Two, if we did do advertising, it was going to be companies we went after. And I remember that those conversations early on, you actually talked about that on the show prior to it happening. That's I remember right. That, yeah. And we wanted to share that with the audience too. So that was kind of another part of the deal was like, okay, if we are going to do this, let's openly discuss it with the audience. Let, let, let's let them know who we're courting and who we turn down or who we decide to. And so, yeah, if you've been listening for a long yeah, time, yeah. you probably appreciate that because I know there's some people who are like, oh yeah, they just have all these products or they sell. It's like, no, if you listen to our core message, we've been saying it the same since day one, all these things that we talk about, uh, we don't consider them the big rocks. You know, we always push people in the direction of whole natural foods, go that route first. And then yes, are there things that we use and we like and that we're into? Here they are, you know, and this is how we use them, but we'll never go away from that you know, this is going to, you know, you know, replace this or this is better than that. That's so transparent. That, that That's exactly the reason, just for the record, that I, I get so upset and frustrated with people like Dave Ramsey. Not that he's a bad person who's doing bad things, but because it's not as transparent as that. Like you guys are so clear about it and to have that conversation up front and it's still there. I mean, I'm sure that episode, whichever it was, I mean, it's probably years old now, is still out there. 
people can literally go back and fact check that this was a, a huge issue for you guys. So do you now pick partners that you strategically align with to help grow their brand as part of yours? Or is it just do we believe in what they're doing? Because obviously you you have a compelling platform to lend to somebody else now. So when you partner with brands, is, is there a value add on the investment side to leverage that? Yes. So now like, so the uh, eight companies, I believe most of the eight, there's probably a couple in there that were just peer investors because we really like the company or we have a friend who's tied to it and we've got kind of an, an uh, inside line on the business or whatever. So most of them, they their synergy with their in the health and fitness space, um, they are scaling and growing right now. It's a product that we're also interested in. And then we make a deal and they're all different, right? So there's not like a cut and dry deal, but we do half we'll invest our money and half we'll do trading commercials. And I love to do it in a, in a place that in a place where in a year's time, so all of them in a year's time of them paying for advertising for us, basically cancels out the pure investment. So basically what we're doing. You're hedging. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, we're so you, you get free commercial spots on our, our show, in a sense, for a year. And that's what I meant by we're playing with house money. Yeah. With millions of people. I mean, this is a win-win deal for any brand that comes in the door, especially if you're in the space. I mean, this how do you not win with this? Yes. So and it's, it's been, all with partners that, that you guys use personally. Yeah. Right? yeah. Oh, so yeah. That's that, a, that, that is a must, right? I mean, it either has to be that or it's like outside of our space. Like, OK, um, there's a brand called uh, Luna that we we do. Luna is in the physical therapy space. Basically, it is the Uber of physical therapists. Yeah, I've heard you guys. Yeah, and I mean, I was just, it was, that was actually a good friend of mine. Uh, her husband um, is an investor in it, and he, he just happened to bend my ear at the time we were getting into investing. I also used to live with a physical therapist, and we used to, and this was way back when in my 20s, and we'd always talk business together and what the future looked like. And so I have an idea of what uh, the, the evolution has been for the fitness or the physical therapy side. So when I heard that, I go, oh my god this like fills those gaps and was fascinated by it brought it in the guys all saw the writing on the wall too and then we invested in so even though you don't hear us do a lot of commercials we and they didn't do a lot of advertising with us that was a company that we were going to invest in regardless if there was going to be because we also don't think there's like a we won't do commercials for a, a brand either if it doesn't make sense for us to talk about it like so i had rules early on too about because i handled that side of the business was i grew the 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 advertising and partnership and i and and the guys all agree with this is that we do not want to have to talk about a brand so much that it outpaces how we realistically use it in our lives oh wow okay so that was we took that into consideration like there was people that wanted to advertise four or five commercials in a month with us but then if it was something that it's like I would never use that five times in a month. I mean, I use that maybe twice a month. So if it would, and then now mind you, there's three of us. So it could be once for me, twice for Sal, you know, once for Justin or what that. And okay, that's fine. But that was the, that was a deal breaker is if we all couldn't agree that, hey, I use this product this often so I can organically talk about it. Because that was part of the deal with the commercials, which by the way, when we also did the, started this, that was an area of opportunity that I saw that nobody was doing. So early on in podcasting, the traditional way you do commercials is a pre-roll or a mid-roll. 
where and it's either one pre-recorded or it's like this little stick that they read and all these companies they give you this um and by the way there was some there was uh there was definitely growing pains of this because uh, companies did not like this. And it, was, it was unorthodox. Yes, right? it yeah. was very unorthodox. And when I'd have to have these conversations where they'd be like, okay, great, we'll pay that much for advertising. They'd be like, okay, so here's the script we want to read. And i go, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> yeah. And they'd be like, uh, yeah, no, this is what we want you to say. And they're like, no, 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 that's not how we do this. And I'm like, but trust me, it, it'll be better this way because I promise you it, it's way more authentic for us to have a natural conversation right. about your product. The audience won't fast forward through it because I tell you what I do. You can show them the analytics on this too, right? And yeah. yeah. I mean, how many, if you guys I'm sure listen to or have listened to Joe Rogan. Uh, every single one. Every single one I'm fast forwarding through. The first eight minutes, right? Yeah, can't do it. Not you just do listen, it. So you got to know that. 50% of the people do that. And that only works for him, right? Other people that do that, I mean, he's Joe Rogan, so maybe that. Well, yeah, yeah his, his size is so big, but exactly. I'll tell you right now, like, so I, I have a lot of partners that work with Joe Rogan and also work with us, and we convert at a much higher percentage than Joe does. Yeah. I have no doubt about that. Yeah. yeah. And I would also bet that there's probably more shows now doing it that way than Joe Rogan's way. Yes. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I, I actually, again, another thing that like, uh, I didn't see anybody do it before we did it. So we started doing these and we call them organic commercials where we would build them in the conversation, which is also why we put a limit on how many commercials we would ever take. So another thing, there's low hanging fruit for us right now. I could, we could, I could three X the advertising side of the business right now. We have that many people that want to advertise on the show, but we don't, we would lose, right. we would lose our- goes back to you guys maintaining your level of yes, integrity. Like if, if, could you imagine if that, first half hour, hour of the show, listening to us turned into eight commercials organically, the whole conversation would be built around that. <laughs> yeah, and your yeah, value yeah. proposition to the market would be lost in messages yeah. behind And so we else, actually so yeah. were, we were even hesitant to do two. It was like, you know, does it feel inauthentic for us to do two commercials? And that's kind of where we felt like, yo, you know what? We all use these products enough. We rarely ever have a cadence on it. Easily, there's we'll have used that product by the you know by the time it comes around in week three or four that one of us will have a story and that's how it happens right now right so this is how a commercial works for us so today we had um, uh, we had uh, Caldera and we had I think Butcher Box or something right two well just it doesn't matter but we had two two brands like that when we walk in here and we give Doug some of our notes. Uh, each guy will look up and we're finding out for that first time. We'll look at the TV and go, oh, it's Caldera and Butcher Box. And I'll go, oh, hey, I, I got I got I got the Butcher Box commercial. And then Sal will go, oh, perfect. I read some study. I got I got the Caldera commercial. And that's all it said. That way, too, the commercial is that authentic that, well, I have no idea what Sal's going to say about Caldera, but he's going to build it in the conversation. And it's about his actual usage of it. Like, that's it's right. real. Right. Yeah, or a study yeah. that he read or yeah. something like that. Or in mm -hmm. my case, it was Butcher Box. And so I just recently was cooking some of their meat. I didn't even know until this point. They actually have this awesome YouTube channel where a chef comes on there and teaches you how to cook with their meat. I didn't even know that existed. And so I was like, oh, yeah, that's an easy conversation for me. I just did it like that's two funny. nights ago. We were ago. just talking about this at earlier today. I was like, I wanted, I wanted to get on Butcher Box because of you guys. Yeah. So, yeah. and I think that's, I think that <laughs> doing it. Watch the fitness it, show, watch me. <laughs> 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 put it out there. It's, it's all right. that up. Yeah. You don't want to take it? Yeah. yeah. I, I really think that that was uh, one of the coolest, more, I mean, I'm super proud of that. Like not a lot of people know what all, how that all played out back in, you know, behind the scenes and stuff. But it was, a. I lost a lot of brand deals at the beginning because some people, you had some stubborn companies that like, that would be like, nah. Uh, we, you have to do it this way because it was so unorthodox. And that's the marketing departments. The marketing departments just have to have their rigid structure yes. and they're not they're not going to deviate from it. And they're certainly not going to take a risk with somebody they perceive to be not an industry yeah. leader when you guys are starting. So some of the things yeah. I would have to do and um, 
I would, if it was a brand I really wanted and they were like, nah, this is how you do things. I would even like offer them like next to nothing commercial to prove the model. I'd say, here's the deal then. And, but I would also communicate this. I'd say, here's the deal. I'm so confident that when we do it this way, that you guys are going to be so impressed with the return from it and what you hear back from it, that you're going to want to continue, want us to continue that. But the deal is you don't get this rate because that's not the rate we go by. But I'm, that's, I'm willing to show you guys by, by dropping my rate this low to prove the model. But then when we re-sign for our contract and you come back because you will, this is going to be the new rate. And all of them would say yes. They're like, okay. Yeah, free proof of concept. Sign me up. Yeah. So we would yeah. do that. And then they would they always would be blown away. The other thing that we did that was different than anybody in the space on the advertising side, also saw a huge opportunity here, was one of the traditional models for a business like ours when you when you sell advertising is, okay, my podcast commercial costs $3,000. Uh, Instagram posts is $250. Uh, email blast to our list is you know $175. And they monetize all their platforms because they all have different followings. Like our TikTok following is different than our Facebook following, different than our YouTube following. There's not a lot of, believe it or not, crossover fans. They're all different. And so you sell- Which is really weird, right? Know, huh? Like that, there's, there's this compelling, weird social media dichotomy, if you will between all these different platforms and how they interact and how they respond to your marketing. That's such a fascinating thing. It was, a, it was actually a big learning experience for us year. I mean, looking, but when people ask me big mistakes, we made one, uh, we didn't start our email list early. Two, uh, we ignored YouTube. I mean, it, both those things are huge revenue streams for us now that we completely ignored back then. But what people do is they monetize that. So what I did especially since one, I was asking for above asking, like, so there's a model called C, like CPMs, which is cost per million. And it stands for how much podcasts pay per how many listens you have. The standard is anywhere between like 30 to $50 per CPM. So per thousand downloads, you get $35. I was charging two, three times that. This is also the same model that YouTube uses to show you your monetization. That's right. right. Yeah. That's right. So I was charging way more money than what it was, but because we were con converting so high. So another thing that I did to, to bolster that and to make them feel comfortable with locking in on a contract that's a lot higher than they're used to paying and then doing it a different way than they're used to, I would say this, this is how much I guarantee that you will get your return is that if you don't at least get your one-to-one -one dollar back. So if you invested, say, $50,000 in advertising with us, you would make a minimum from me at $50,000 back. Now, of course, our goal is to one and a half, two X that for you, but I guaranteed you to make your money back. The way I guaranteed it was we will use our other platforms to make up for the sales. So I don't sell those. My goal is to not use those, but I would tell them as my commitment to make sure that I make good on the advertising is we will use YouTube, we will use Instagram, we'll use Facebook, we'll use our mailing list. If you and if you report back to my people, I have a person that runs your account and they will be in communication with you every single week if you will commit to that on your side. You let my team know that we're underperforming on the numbers. Their job is to meet with me every Monday and tell the guys that we're underperforming in this revenue or in this, this, this sponsor. And so that would be note to us to go, okay, Sal, you do a post today. Oh, Justin, you do this. Or Doug, you do an email blast. And so we would use the other mediums to make up for the revenue. And we'd always make good, which is why everybody resigns. And we've never had somebody stop. It's, it's wow. It's fascinating to see how thoughtful every step, because to the, to the listener, as a fan myself and even Thickness over here listening to the show, we, uh, 
it, it seems like a very you know just intuitive process. It seems very it's very polished, very right? polished, and and to see like how all these little idiosyncrasies came about, it's it's fascinating. I have to ask a question though. It, it seems that it has to be different for you now. You were selling your brand to them. Now people have to be selling their brand to you. Oh right? yeah, I mean now it is, and we had it even then um, where people are selling their brand to us. Uh, but it was not stuff we were really interested. In, but it, it, it's cool. I mean, now I mean we have a department for that. That's literally just inbounding these emails of people that want to. And like, I mean, most of it, we have a whole back. I'll let you guys go shopping and take whatever you want. Uh, people that just send us stuff for free now. Just that they, they just want us to try the product. They want to pay to do stuff on there. And I would say eighty percent we don't even entertain. It's just not aligned with what we're doing or it's conflict of interest with another partnership we already have. And so, yeah, there's there's no shortage now of people trying to advertise. That's a long it's been a long journey to get there. Um, but, yeah, it's it's now people. But which is cool, because every once in a while I will find a company that I wasn't aware of. Uh, in fact, uh, Magic Spoon was an example of that, which is like one of my. So good. Oh, so good. So good. One of my favorite yeah. partners that we have absolutely love that brand. And uh, they came after us, and then I was like, "Oh!" And we tried it, and I was like, "Oh my god, you guys!" Back in the day, I tried them off of Instagram, thinking it was because my wife orders all this stuff off Instagram. That was the one thing she ordered that blew me away. I was yeah. like, "Holy shit!" They've like, exploded I now. I think they're even in Target now. Oh, they're huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now they, they have all kinds yeah. of crazy wow. parts. Yeah, I I, so we missed the uh, investing on them because it was a year and a half or two years. We we've been with them for quite some time now. Uh, they came along after we were, we had the capital to really start putting back into some of these companies or else they them and Viore both are two brands that we would have been in. And then we I mean, of course, hindsight's 2020, but we look at where their valuation is now. Viore is blowing up. They, they're opening up locations, physical locations now everywhere. It's, yeah. It's, their last valuation was four billion. Was it? Yeah. yeah it doesn't surprise so, me at all. Yeah. So we met, that's I mean, a tough demographic and market to, to break into. Very tough. Yeah. Very, very tough, especially when you got a behemoth like Lululemon, which is like your direct competitor. So <laughs> right until their CEO says we don't make clothes for fat people. And that, that's a whole that, that, <laughs> that, that started their downfall there. OK, I, great. I'll just go this way. That yeah. day I was in the phone, you know, you know, you know, Scott, I was on the phone with him saying, buy everything now. <laughs> you, know, you knew the price was going to go up and that guy was going to be gone because uh, you just yeah. can't make a statement yeah, yeah, yeah. like that. But, yeah, yeah. yeah, for sure. But yeah. So I'm, I'm super curious now. So the investment side is, is obviously something we share a passion in the real estate side of things. But there, there's a lot of different pieces there from from a structural standpoint. Did you guys set that up to where you could carve it out one day or is it all kind of under the same family of, of companies or well, it's what's un- your thought there? It's, so it's all under my pump investments. It's a it's um it's a long hold a retirement thought process for us. So none of us even think of it as like, oh, I've got this house that's now worth this. We could cash it out and you could walk away with a million and go do this. It's like, we. it's all about cash flow. And it's, I should say, I shouldn't say that because it's not all about cash flow right now. It's all about not losing money right yeah, now, like right now, yeah. on the investments, right? Yeah. And But knowing that it's a long-term play for cash flow. Like the goal is to have probably somewhere around 50 plus properties that are, you know, that we're chipping away at paying off. And in 15, 20 years from now, we've got this retirement fund that is being- That's something that Chris taught me a long time ago. He said, cash isn't king, cash flow is king. Yeah, I think that's a big, huge misconception in the market is people look at things like cash and in, in accounts. And I, I don't know about you. When I was a kid, I always wanted I had this aspiration to have a million dollars in my account. Like I wanted a million dollars in my account. And when I got old enough to actually have that and I was lucky and fortunate enough, I thought you're a fucking idiot if you have a million dollars in an account. Like, that's the yeah, worst yeah. place you can put Start your money. leveraging that thing. Yeah. So and it, it's, it's been this like kind of learning journey for me to understand. So I started off underwriting loans. Saeed, Saeed still does it on the, on the commercial multifamily side. And we got to see this vision in all these wealthy people's personal financial statements. 
And we got to see how really wealthy people built their wealth. I don't care if you're a doctor, a dentist, an attorney. Yeah. At the end of the day, so I'd love to hear from guys, you guys. What were some of your guys' big takeaways of that? I mean, was there aha moments of like, oh wow, this is how they do the things? Big, the biggest, for, the biggest for me, and Chris can definitely talk about it more. But it was like, I didn't care if you were a doctor, an attorney, a dentist, whatever. You were really a real estate investor. Yeah. At the end of the day, that's that's where all of their income is really coming from. You know. I, I think for me, what really changed kind of the paradigm of the way I thought about investing was seeing how these things really changed over time. In the spectrum of a real estate cycle, we think about ups and downs. In real estate, as a sine wave, up and down. Like typically, recessionary economies last from seven to 10 years, and the prosperous economy that follows it is generally around the same magnitude, and then so on and so forth over time. But when you span out over, over 400 years, real estate values effectively stay the same. But humans don't live that long, so we don't think with this perspective. We think about a lifetime perspective. And it became very apparent very, very quickly that it doesn't really matter when you buy. Even in this economy, as much as I, I, I say in a recessionary economy, it doesn't matter when you buy. If it's cash flowing and it makes you money, that is a good investment for you. And when I got my head around the idea that so many of these investors started buying properties that may have paid them $100 a month or $200 a month, it didn't matter. Somebody else was paying down their mortgage and they were building wealth while they were doing whatever the hell it was that originated that money in the first place. So I love hearing you say that because this has been, uh, by no means do I think I'm an expert at this at all. Like I'm still learning and I'm learning as I go. And one of the biggest things I felt that I have learned in the real estate thing, I used to, so I got really hung up on like cap rates, right? And that was like my thing. And that's how we I- We talked about it a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I was all I'm about- I'm not a huge cap rate fan. Yeah, and I it. used to be. So yeah. I like to, I mean, I just, I just came off of reading the book, Hold- and uh, and I and I went on this kick of like learning how to calculate cap rates, and I was chasing the you know can I get five, six, seven, eight percent cap rates, and that's all I cared about cared about for obviously for cash flow purposes. Looking back now, what I what I realize is some of the things that were our worst cap rates are some of our best investments today. And so when I think now, when we look at an investment deal, is and of course I love more cash flow. It really is. Do I really love this property in this area long, long term? And can I not lose right now from it? Can I not lose money? Right. Can I? And, that, and by that means that you have to cover all costs, property management, all the potential headaches. Right. So I kind of factor that in. And I'm like, if I really believe in this is a grow, and, and I did, a, I do a lot of the homework on the backside. Right. So I look at uh, growth of medium income. I look at growth of population. I look at big companies that move in there. Like, so th I'll look at all those things and that will decide a city or an area that I'll target. Then I'll go in that area and then I'll, tr and then obviously I'm looking for a real estate estate agent. I have a whole like interview list of things that I'm asking a realtor before I work with them. Do you listen to Dave Ramsey? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you follow keeping current matters? <laughs> yeah. And, and so, cause I leave, he lean heavily on them, right? I mean, I don't have the time to be a full-time real estate agent. And so I need to build relationships with people that I trust that have the expertise um, that I don't have in that field. You know my thoughts on this. You, you know what I'm. You, the I real know. estate license thing yeah. is, is. We all should have it. It's coming. I'm. I'm. I've, I'm seriously. I'm. I, yes. I'm gonna do it. So it's not. It's not a matter of if. It's more when. Am I gonna do it? Because I mean, I'm sold on. I got your brother. Um, you got me. I know. You, you, I know. You will be good. Well, you're the you're the really selling factor of why wow, I'll probably take two weeks off of work and just go to the school and go knock it out and then come back and say, all right, we got it. Let's go. Um, but yeah. So that. So now when I look at like how in the, some of the investments have panned out. Some of the investments that were probably less exciting because of the cap rates, 
uh, they've just appreciated way more and they're easier to deal with, like for a whole host of different reasons. And some of the things that were my best cap rates are some of my most frustrating properties right now. So frustrating properties can can burn you in a way like just is it's not even really the money at that point. It just winds up being the frustration of having to deal with something else that's supposed to be passive. It, it, that's not why we buy them. That's not why we invest in them. That's certainly not why you have good people around them just to just to cause you a headache, right? Right. And when you look at someone, and I understand like, because I, I guarantee there's somebody who's listening to your show who's like, re, that all they do is real estate and they've made all their money and they use tactics like the Burr method or like that just to get in or house hacking. And, you know, they're, they're you know, the difference of making three or $400 a month is a big difference. Like for us, this is not our income. It, it, so, the difference of me finding a property that cash flows $500 more than another property is not changing any of our lives. Exactly. So yeah. it's more, I, I think more long-term now, I'm, I'm, I'm less like bought in on it has to be this percentage where I was like that early on, where now it's like, if all those other things look up, if I, I believe in the city's growing, I believe the medium income, the population, I like the town, I like the area, like I like the builder, I like all these other things. I have a good either PM or a good connection there of somebody who's really going to help facilitate that, that all gets factored in now. And so I could be making, you know, a dollar a month off of that one and it, and all those things line up. But then I could have another one that's a 8% cap rate, which I would in the past probably jump all over because it's cash flowing more. It seems like it's a great deal. But if some of those other things are out of whack, then I'll, I'll now walk away from. So how does this work? So you gather all this information and you present it to the team or is it like, (laughs) no, I, the joke, the joke about that is that, uh, you know, I, I say this all the time. Like if you, Doug wouldn't, Doug would, cause Doug's very close to me with all this stuff. But if you ask Justin and Sal where all their houses are, you should challenge them when you see them. (laughs) They wouldn't even be able to tell you. So they don't even know. A lot of times I will come to work and I'll be like, Hey, make sure you guys sign, sign the docs in your email. Yeah. And like, Oh, oh, we just bought a place in Oklahoma. They're like, Oh, oh, cool. cool. Where we're at now. It wasn't yeah. like that at the very beginning. Of course, right. they had to build that trust of and, course, and feel absolutely. confident that I knew I, what I was Normally doing. Normally, I talk trash, but I got to be honest. I have properties I've never even been to. I have no idea where they're at. Yeah. Like, I've yeah. never seen them. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. I don't actually don't think these guys have seen any of their properties. You invest in Oklahoma a lot, too. Have yeah, that, well, that, that's that's... That's how Adam and I became my I don't best know. friends. I don't think no, Sal and Justin have seen, yeah. yeah, I don't think Sal or Justin have seen any of their properties before. Yeah. So I don't think they've seen any of them. So yeah, so I'll I'll do um I'll, I'll do all they don't I don't even involve them in the research part because a lot of times it leads to nothing. But I'll probably look at a hundred properties a month. And you look at you know, hundred a month. Yeah, I probably look at hundred. Wow. Not like a deep dive on hundred. I'm like yeah, but you're scanning. Getting, you're scanning through. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah. scanning about hundred properties. Wow. I'll I'll nail it down to like ten that I really like, and then. At that point, this is where, okay, now I'll start to involve a, a realtor in there to now go look at some of them. All right, Doug, then... you ready? You ready for this? This is for you. <laughs> that is not the highest and best use of your time. Oh, no. Like, I, know. <laughs> like that is, that, yeah. I know you're passionate about it. I yeah. am too. Yeah. But I have I have realtors like my sister and my network. Do you feel good about this, Doug? This is yeah, good. sounds yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> so, But I mean, basically, this is what I'm saying is it's my sister brings me deals now. I say, look, I need... In order for us to have a conversation, it's usually around 250 bucks minimum a month in cash flow that you can guarantee me based on what you see. And I'm looking at cash on cash return, no cap rates. Uh, and if that's if that's what it is, then I'm going to open up a conversation about trying to make that happen. So, OK, I'm, I'm giving myself a little bit more credit than really everything that I handle, too. So that is I'm what I'm explaining and taking you through is the process of me going into a new area. We're in seven or eight different states, maybe more than that, actually. Now, 
once I do that one time. Oh, you get acclimated? And I, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And then yeah, okay. I build a relationship with the realtor. Yeah, yeah. Now they have a spreadsheet that I already have created right. that they have to fill out and deliver to me. I love it. So looking nice. at 100 properties is a lot easier. I, I mean, and they have to highlight it where it says cap rate and I see you. T- like, so then that's what it looks like for me to look at 100 how properties. Many, how many realtors have you gone through that won't do that? Well, I won't even I won't even fuck with them now. Yeah, yeah. So that's part of the yeah. so the part of the interview process for me is one you have to be an ex- experienced realtor yourself. I want at least five plus years in your area, uh, so you have to know your area really well. Uh, you have to be an investor yourself. So I don't want someone trying to show me what I should invest in if you don't invest in in yourself. Uh, you have to understand how to do cap rates. You have to understand how to fill out my spreadsheet that I have. And you've got to be able to present that to me. And you're going to do all that work. You just press just, just the net operating and income analysis and NOI spread with the cap rate back end. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, we do that all day long. That's yeah, what we do. Yeah. So now what it looks like, uh, very similar to like, you know, advertising looks like where they come after me now. I've got all these realtors in all these states constantly trying to work for me because they we, most of them we have multiple properties in. So, of course, they're making good money off of off of us. And so they're constantly presenting to me, you know, like, oh, this area, check this out, and then sending the spreadsheet over. And that's the first thing I do. Like, they'll send me an idea, or an area, say, well, fill out the spreadsheet, let me see it. That's why you didn't respond to the one I sent you. No spreadsheet. <laughs> that was why. <laughs> Come on, bro. Fill out the spreadsheet. I gave, I gave him a first look on what right, right. yeah. you Maybe you maybe do yeah. too much work. Yeah, it's too much work now. Yeah, so that's what it looks like that now, where so they'll they'll do a lot of that for me. And, and definitely out of all the realtors I've worked with, there's ones that... Uh, I think are sharper in that area uh, than others. There's certain realtors that I have that will go above and beyond. Like we've been able to not have a property manager in some of our pro- in some of our states because my realtors have been like, "Hey, I'll take care of that for you, Adam. Don't no worry kidding. about it." We'll, wow. We'll, a smart realtor will. A smart realtor will recognize. Some states it's a little more difficult because their their state laws require them to be licensed or not do both. It depends on where they're at. Uh, like in Oklahoma, for example, it is very, very technical. So your realtors generally are not your property manager. In my case, my sister's both, and she runs it through the, the Black Crown franchise. But that having both is just a smart business decision if you're a realtor. That, that, that's how you get reoccurring revenue. And, then, and yeah, I, exactly. you know, and I and I love those those realtors that go above me. And it's something that we do, and I don't know what you think about this or not, but I'm just this goes back to other. Um, other businesses that I've built and this, my philosophy and entrepreneurship, big on relationship building. So when I do find that realtor, um, we do a lot of nice things. Like I send flowers to them. We send food. I'll get, we'll send spiffs. Like I, I foster those relationships because I recognize how valuable finding someone who's willing, who gets it. And it's hard because they're not everywhere in every state that you want all the time. So finding one like that, like, I try to make sure we take really good care of of that realtor in little ways that I can. And sometimes it's as simple as sending a card when you knew their husband had surgery last week or like that. Like that goes I think a long the, way, right? I really believe that. I mean, it's paid it's paid me back in everything else that I've done business wise. We do that also in the partnership side. That was also another thing that um, I think we did different. I've never seen anybody do, and it blows our partners away every time we do it. Is um, the we have somebody who's dedicated to massaging all those relationships. And by oh, massaging, really? I'm yeah, 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 that's their job is to, I used to do it all myself. And then when it grew to a place where it was so big, I could not, we had so many relationships. I couldn't be that guy anymore. So I have somebody who their job is to keep me on task. They'll be like, Hey, when was the last time you sent a message to Tom Billion? And I'm like, Oh yeah, it's been a while. And I'll either send a text, send an email, make a comp or that, pick a phone up call. And so I have somebody who holds me accountable or like someone like Jerry, who's amazing for me, lets me know, Hey, by the way, Adam, I sent over flowers over to Brooke. It was her birthday yesterday. I'm like, Oh yeah, thank you. Awesome. 
awesome. So oh, yeah, that. yeah, that stuff, uh, we're on top of that. And I make sure we do all that. And we have realtors, I think that just absolutely take good care of us now. Relationships are the truest form of currency without a question of a doubt. Yes. Um, yeah. What's that saying? If your, your, your true net worth is your, your worth. true net worth is your net work. work. Yeah. 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 And I, I, I totally agree with that. It's funny for me to, to see that as my reality now, because I grew up so independent in business because I, I don't know, maybe it's just kind of the way I was brought up. I was so independent that I wasn't relying on a team and I was so reluctant to give up things. And now I've been surrounded with people, people like, like Saeed, who are like my friends and my family who also wind up being your working partners but there's so many people that are like that in my life. And now I have like my father at my law firm. I have my sister at the real estate company and things start to grow out with people that you love and trust. It's weird to me to see that, that these relationships that you have that started off in a completely different Avenue can form the baseline for trust. That's so powerful in business. Well, I mean, look at, uh, I mean, you and I, the first time I think it was the first time we got on the phone and you're like, come on, let me be straight up. You asked me, why are you doing this? Yeah, yeah, I did. Why are you, you know, straight up, yeah. and I mean, and it just, it speaks to what you're saying right now is like, I mean, and, and it, what I also recognize, and I think the only way you can do that uh, and be authentic about it is that I already accept that it could go nowhere, that I could spend all this time with you. We build a great relationship and maybe just become friends from it. And it does nothing in business wise for either one of us, but maybe it does manifest in something and then it ends up being something huge. And it was built on a foundation like that. It's so powerful, I think. And so uh, I approach relationships like that with people that I like or people I want to do business with. And and I know that, you know, nine times out of 10, it goes nowhere or I get burned or it doesn't work out for me, but you can't. And I think people must make a mistake here, get hung up on that. Like, oh, the last time I gave that person my free time or they fucked me or, you know, they didn't reciprocate it. You're going in it with the wrong attitude. You're going in it with expecting something in return where I know better to do that. It's just like, I genuinely want to help. I genuinely want to do something nice for this person. And you know what? It's worth the nine people not getting it because the one person who does, most of those times end up being a huge person in my we're life. All, I call all, it ex-girlfriend syndrome. We're all fathers here. So this is actually something I just taught my son. Um, my son's name also Adam, uh, six years old. Um, yeah, weird. <laughs> and uh, he, it was recently like a religious holiday that passed. And he's like, oh, so-and-so didn't get me a gift. And I had to teach him like, Hey, this buddy, this world isn't about what you get. It's about what you give. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? That's so, so I just was reading my, that's so funny you bring that up. Katrina was asking me, there's a, Bernstein Bears is a book that we read. It's a, it, it's actually got, it's got religious undertones to it, right? And they reference a Bible verse in there. And she was actually asking me like, I don't understand what this book is trying to teach our son. I'm like, it's exactly that lesson right there. And it's the, the, the lesson in the book is the kid, they all, they're all kids. They all work on, they're the, one of the kids works on the weekend to save a little bit of money. And uh, he goes to buy this ice cream cone and his siblings didn't do anything. They didn't work. They didn't save any of their money. And uh, he want and he want they want his some of his ice cream and they're kind of like fighting over it. And he's like, no, I worked and I saved my money for this or that. And they're kind of fighting. The ice cream falls and he gets no ice cream. And then they they bring up. I don't remember the Bible verse off the top of my head. But anyways, the moral of it was that even in a situation like that where you work, you are in the money, you're the one you have every right to have that even in that situation you should still give and even katrina was like scratching her head like really what are we i'm like absolutely and i gave her an analogy that in in business i said i feel like that's exactly how i approach my relationships in business is i'm always going to come that way first i always recognize that some people are going to take the ice cream cone and i ain't going to get shit back for it that's just part of it but i tell you what the one out of the ten that finally does it 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 pays you back so much that it, it makes up for all the nine that didn't. And I think it's such an important lesson in business and life. 
And ironically, it's the same way with with the brands and the sponsors and the growth of this business and so many of the, the individual things that you do. You can try 10 things and that one that really pops off for you has been has been immensely successful. I did have another question about the investment side. So you guys also do some strategic partnerships in the investing that we talked about, right? And some of this is seed round stuff. Some of this is later on A, B, C. Did you get in... You, you obviously weren't a, an investor going into in the, when you started. How did you learn? Like, how did you decide to take that leap? Because a lot of people look at venture venture capital and some of this this funding like that as a very scary, scary thing for them to go into. As they probably should, because the fail rate is so high, right? Like, and I wouldn't recommend it for most people. I think that what really made me go down that road was it just made sense with the position that we were in. You know, what I found when we were doing when I was doing all the advertising stuff, of course, I'm so deep into that. A lot of these companies that we started talking to and we find out they were so people who adopted podcasting for advertising early on were a lot of startups. Your big Coca-Cola's and 24 hour fitnesses and these big billion dollar brands aren't fucking around with podcasts. It was too small of a pond for them. It hasn't gotten popular except for the last couple of years where people are finding out the conversion rate on podcasting is so much higher than TV and radio. But that wasn't like common knowledge. And so and a lot of these brands are such massive ships that they're like, why are we going to go mess with this little podcast? Like we're doing millions of advertising on ESPN or this and that. And so they're not going to redo the way they do advertising. They have a budget every year. It's planned out a year in advance. Like so this podcasting space didn't attract a lot of big brands. It attracted a lot of startup companies. That's that that had smaller budgets and we're trying to get creative with how they advertise. And it was kind of like this untold secret in, in in startup land of like, hey, these podcasts actually convert really well. Yeah, we're only throwing a couple grand to make a few grand back. And that's not going to you know, it's not going to turn the head of Coca-Cola to start to do something like that. But these brands that are trying to get momentum and grow an audience and build, it was a great way to do that. So I saw that and I'm like, man. Some of these, and I saw some of these companies like Viore, who like we were the first person they ever advertised with, ever. Oh wow! Yeah, oh, we're that, that for a lot of brands. Wow. Yeah. A I lot mean, of the, the first show that I heard them on, I never heard them. On yeah, else. We're, yeah, we're the first show for a lot of brands that you hear. So I mean, some like Butcher Bots, Magic Spoon, they had done others before us, but a lot of the brands that we talk about, we were some of the first people ever to advertise for them. And so I would see that, and then I'd see their growth. I see the valuations four billion dollars. I'd be like, oh my god, imagine if instead of taking money. I could have just made a deal and said, hey, give me a small sliver of your business, how wealthy we'd be right now. So really, I, I didn't. And of course, I've done and I've read some books and I listen to podcasts and I'm into angel investing now and I'm, and I'm still learning. Like I'm, I'm very, very green in all of that. But what promoted it was seeing that, was seeing these companies that we were already getting paid to do advertising and then watching their growth and then their valuations go up and then kind of scratching my head and going like, okay, yeah, okay, they paid us $50,000 in advertising, but looking back, I'd rather have $50,000 worth of share in the seed round. Oh my goodness, because, yeah. Because that would be 10X right now. And yeah. so that was kind of what triggered that. And I remember telling the guys about it and they were all like, hell yes. Like if we have an opportunity to invest, if we're willing to advertise you on the show, we already believe in what you're doing or else we wouldn't fuck with you. So we're already believers in the company if we're already promoting you why not take some shares in it and take less money since that isn't even the main source of revenue for us. The main source of revenue, what built this company was Maps Fitness Products. So that is like, to us, again, we're playing with house money. It's like we we were at one point not even going to do that. And now that we're doing it, we're, and we're doing it with companies that we believe in, we like, they're early on. It's like, it was kind of a no brainer. And that's why too, when I look at the portfolio, there's eight companies in there. I mean, they may all fail, 
But I, I mean, I, I look back and go like, they, they all can except for yeah. one. Right, right. You know, that exactly. one that hits and you're going to make all your money back and then some. That, and that's all we need. So I've, I've looked at a number of venture funds over the years and it's always shocking to me see, to see how diverse and wide their portfolios are. But when you recognize they only need one of those or two of those to hit and they've made all their money back, then some, and then they go right back into something else. Plus they can write off their losses from tax base. There's such a huge economic play there that most people are so intimidated by from this kind of scary picture that it blows people away. Yeah, I really think that... <sighs> You know, like even talking about the real estate thing, like I'm no expert there. I'm no expert in the angel investing thing. What we built here has provided me an opportunity to to utilize those areas in, in a way that maybe somebody who is just an angel investor, like they would probably hear some of my logic behind picking a company and be like, that's stupid, you know, or like I would never do that. Or what, you didn't look at this and you didn't look at that. And they could criticize me about everything I don't know. But what I do know is that these people are already willing to give us money to advertise. I like the company personally. My partners love the company personally. We hope it does well. And we kind of feel like, okay, it's a it's a smart gamble in the sense that we don't have a lot to lose. You know, it's not a big it's not a big deal if we lose that hundred grand on that because they would have paid me a hundred grand in advertising or they're gonna pay me a hundred grand in advertising for the year. So we just look at it as playing with house money on a brand we already like and believe. Totally knowing that we may fail on all eight, but when we fail on all eight, we're not going to go like, man, that was, you know, a million dollars we could have put over here. And put, yeah, you, you and I guarantee somebody in real estate could make the case like, OK, bro, you gambled a million dollars on these startup companies and you could have put that million in real estate. You know how many properties you could add? How much could be? Yeah, cap- but that, that's always the argument, though. Like stock guys always love stock. Yes. Real estate guys always love real estate. There's always going to be that polarity there. And nobody's right. Nobody's wrong. It's just you have your flavor. That's why if you are to, if you are a real estate guy and you hear me talk about real estate, you can critique the shit out of me and tell me I don't know what I'm talking about and like um, and get all kinds of criticism. If you're a stock guy and you hear me talk about, but the way we play the game is just different than I would be if I, that's all I did. Like, okay, I get it. If I was just angel investing, I didn't have this podcast and this other business then yeah, I definitely wouldn't have chose those eight companies like that. They're not the smartest plays. Well, yeah, but you also have a diversification that makes a really, really smart real estate investor. Uh, I don't want to say his name, but because he's an arrogant bastard as it is. But he once told me that he bought, I looked at his real estate portfolio and I said, why do you own some of these random ass pieces of real estate? I mean, they were like pieces of land in the middle of nowhere. And he said, honestly, those are the pieces of real estate that pay me the most money. And I looked at him and I was just completely confused. Like what? Like this is a piece of land in like nowhere. And he said, well, I started off my career just like you probably do, buying multifamily, single family homes, stuff that made money. And he's like, I got to a point where I didn't need the money anymore. Like I make enough money every single month. And he was the other thing he's over a hundred million in net worth. He said, well, I have all this extra extra cash flow and these investments come up and I can pay for them cash out of pocket. So I'll buy them because nobody else is going to buy them because they're speculative. All I need is like one of those to hit or one of those that become important to somebody for a shopping center or for a freeway or something like that. And I've made 10x my money. And then the light bulb went on for me. He was just going into venture capital and real estate. He wants to call himself a real estate investor, but the thesis was not any different. It was the exact same fiscal strategy. You know what I always thought you guys were going to do? This is a little left off topic, but I, I, so much sure. I always thought the name of the show was somewhat nebulous enough, even though obviously mind pump and in the fitness background, that you guys could branch out into other topics for other podcasts and create a network that was far more robust than just, am I, am I hitting something here? I mean, that's part of the ultimate vision. Um, and I think a couple times we almost rushed into that. Um, but I do believe that's what it'll look like 10 years from now. 10 years from now, 
we'll have talent underneath us that is in other topics that um, that we're interested in, that we like, that provide value to people. Um, we, I, I st- we we all started kind of thinking in that direction, moving that direction and real quickly realized that uh, there was no reason to do it yet. It was going to take a lot of effort to really. And, and we kind of dabbled in it, And one of the ways we dabbled in it was like we started to bring some people underneath us where we were kind of helping them grow what they were doing. Um, and what ended up happening is what and what's difficult with that, what we're talking about is typically you need to get someone like yourself. Right. To do that. Like you would be a perfect example for that. Um, what's hard, what's hard about that <laughs> is you're an entrepreneur, successful, smart yourself. And so convincing someone like you to, hey, I'm just going to pay you this much amount of money or we're going to work this deal out. But now you're underneath me or you work for me. And that, man, it's tough to get. It's so like do bar, it as a it's JV. Like the Barstool model, huh? right? Do it as a JV. Barstool model is one way. Uh, I, believe it or not, Dave Ramsey actually does a really good job. He has a network that, like, like that. There's a lot of people out there that are like that. Um, but do it as a JV. Do like a rev share. Anybody who steps into your network, in theory, I'm overstepping my bounds, obviously, but in theory, anybody who's stepping into your network gets the leverage point of what you guys have already built the same way any advertiser revenue. What you're missing in that equation is your experience, age, and knowledge. You get that. You have to understand that. You just called me old, didn't you? (laughs) (laughs) You get that. You know, not a lot of, and so you now also limit you know, who I can go after. I got to find these successful guys that are smart already that don't need them. And like you, it, it's tough. It's it, and my point of bringing it up was that we, we did kind of like flirt around with the idea of doing it right then and there when I, or when we, I think want to do it and when it will make sense is when we have, when I can go out and say, let's take you an example again, and I can actually offer you a really, really nice contract that you're like, why would I not do this? And it's very cut and dry and easy. And it's just, here's, here's what I'll pay you for this long. This is what you'll, you'll be underneath us. And it's a, it's a good enough amount of money that it's kind of a no brainer for you to explore it and do it. And it allows me to still have enough control of like, okay, if this doesn't work out, we, okay. So we chalk that up. We lost those, that six figure deal that we just did, but it's not going to cripple us or hurt us. Um, or if it manifests into something bigger, when we re-sign your contract, we do work out some sort of a rev share and now it's more of a joint thing. Like, but the logistics of all that was more than I think I realized when I first wanted to start moving that direction. I do still believe that is the future of my month. That is also what you said was exactly the thought process of the name. We knew from day one, we knew we never wanted to pigeonhole ourselves into just fitness. We were all too passionate about other things. And we were all in fitness long enough to know that I don't want to, for the rest of my life, have to talk about fitness. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes some of these people make when they name their business like like it's totally fitness. It's like, you've got to talk about that now forever. And if you start to branch out, people are going to question you like, who are you to talk about that? And what is this all about? Where we came out early kind of telling people, hey, we have all these other interests, which is also what gave us the idea of that kind of free flowing conversation earlier before we get into the fitness at the end. So it's really like, we're going to talk about what we want to talk about. And you'll either listen to it or not. And if you don't like it, you'll fast forward to the end, which a lot of people do to where our expertise is, because we get a lot of critiques like that. Uh, you're not no expert in the economy, and I don't give a shit about your politics, and you know wh- who are you to say this about that? And it's like, But your okay. base will listen. Your base will listen to every part of it. Right. Yeah. And, the, and that's exactly what we have, is our base is interested in all those things, and now the base has grown big enough that we can start soon, I think, support 
completely other shows that are specific to those all those other topics that we talk about. And so, yeah, I absolutely think that's the future of it. That's a long play, slow play, not a lot of money play at first and a lot of work, believe it or not, to kind of get it all together. But I do believe that's a it is a future, especially play. when you're trying to build a relationship, you know, like organically. You know what I mean? You're not, and I, you can tell just from your guys' background, you're not trying to take advantage of up and coming talent. It's like, oh, we're trying to create a partnership here. Are you sweating? No. Are you, you sweating? Look like, you look a little, you look a little, uh, a little moist. I'm just <laughs> no, saying. No. Yeah, we've had, we've had, I was, I was a little bummed early on um, because we've, we've helped some, we've helped catapult um, quite a few people uh, and, and not expecting anything in return. Uh, but I've, I've been kind of let down on, you know, what, ha- what happens is that, you know, it's hard to see the, you know, forest through the trees or whatever, the tree through the forest or whatever, right? They, they get, they see what they're capable of, they're smart, what they're doing. And they think that like, oh, they would have built their social media that big without us, or they would have done it. It's like they, and because they've never truly done it from zero, like we did, they don't realize how hard that is to actually. It's immensely do. difficult. Yes. It's immensely. I've only been on social media for really two years actively trying to, trying to do something. And I knew enough to know that I wasn't smart enough to do it on my own because you, you're, there's one thing using it as a consumer and there's another thing weaponizing it and monetizing it and actually using it as a business. And I made a lot of crucial mistakes and I consider myself to be a relatively like smart person, but I mean, I, I paid a growth company that I thought was well-established and well-heeled. A lot of celebrities had recommended them to me. I gotten recommendations, people in the business. They wound up filling up my account with bot accounts and fake accounts. I had to pay, pay somebody who was employed, you know, uh, I paid I paid her uh, part time for a year to literally go in and remove bot accounts from the algorithm. That mistake, which was expensive on its own, cost me a lot more money in the back end to correct and remediate because the whole system is designed to prevent you from getting rid of them. I also think it's really difficult to do it when you're trying to do it like you are or like we did, which is in this really authentic, real way where you're not chasing clicks or using all the gimmicks just to get attention that's it's tough and we've had to i mean that's a cool kind of conversation too of like we had to at one point kind of submit a little bit to that of like okay we were so staunch about not being clickbaity not being like these people that we were we we would repel any ideas in that if it came off that way at all that it it actually really hindered us it alienates you from having that growth it did and it's unfortunate that you have to I had a really, I had a really tough time reconciling this. You have to, to really accept if you're going to be in this space and you're going to play the game, you have to be willing to sacrifice some of what you do to get your authenticity out there. It's, and it was a very hard thing for us to tackle. And I really think that we, and we're still getting better at this, but I I think we've, we've kind of figured it out, which is, and this was, here's a hack for you. And I don't know if you and I have talked about this before. Um, what we would do, like when we create these single topics, because these are some of the more viral episodes that we have where we, we focus on one fitness topic and we go really deep, is uh, a, a hack that we found was I would, let, let's say it's fat loss, right? So I would Google a very generic search related to fat loss. You know, what's the fastest way to lose 30 pounds or something along those lines? And I would, the top five articles that would come up, I would read them. And so then I would take them and their titles they use because they obviously got searched and, and clicked on a bunch. So I'd look at their titles, I'd look at their content and their body of work, and then I'd basically unpack it and either one, counter it, or two, take what I like from it and put it in our own words. 
And that became a formula for, and it, it was wildly successful for us. And part of what we had to be okay with was titling something like, you know, the five best exercises to build your butt or the, the quickest. And then we, what we would do, because what we didn't like about that is because, you know, nothing about fat loss is faster. And yet we're saying something kind of like that title is we, we would communicate that in the show. So, okay. Yeah. I got your attention uh, with the title, but now let me tell you why you got to watch out for these things or what, let me explain to you why nothing is fast or how we would do things or it is the fastest way, but don't be fooled. It's not fast at all. So we would use some of the strategies that a lot of these, you know, clickbait people were doing to gain the attention, but then to communicate the message that we've been trying to communicate the entire time. And we, and it was hard. We were very resistant to do that for a long time. Like our marketing team that we had for years was trying to get us to do things like that. And we're like, no, no, like we were just not going to do it. We don't care. Like we refuse to do it. And, you know, cutting off our nose, spider our face. Like it really, it really hurt the growth of the show and the business because we were so staunch about it. And finally, it kind of, we were like, okay, there's got to be some sort of a middle ground where we don't, where we feel like we can still have integrity, but yet you still learn from some of these people that have really mastered the ability to get attention. That becomes really apparent though, because after a while, when I started clicking on some of those videos, I would see the clickbaity title and say, oh, they're going to debunk this or show why this isn't true. You know, so I'd be like, oh, I can't wait to hear what they have to say, why this can't happen. Which is cool because and I think you're right. I think that we we did such a good job of actually staying consistent with the way we did things and being authentic that now when we do these things, people don't think like we're they're like, oh, they're going to. Well, I can't wait to hear what they say about that. I know that's bullshit. I can't wait to hear what Mind Pump has to say. So I, I think that does help a lot that we kind of built that relationship, which is, again, uh, to, to the point and the credit of what you guys are doing. I think you're doing a really good job of that so that when you do start to transition where you might use some of those tactics, people, you've already built a strong enough relationship with your core audience that they'll be, I don't know, I don't know if I forgive you for using those tactics or whatever, but they'll, they'll be curious to hear what you have to say with it because they know that's not you. It's not you to use a gimmick like that. So you, he must be putting a spin on this. I can't wait to hear what he has to say. And so I think we did that. Yeah. I mean, the one thing I think we run a foul against is, is a little bit of the dogma. People, people take stuff like their fitness, like religion. They take their money like religion and in the dogma part, especially right now with walking into a recessionary economy, people are, or we are in a recessionary economy, depending on how honest you want to be with yourself. Uh, people are really, really, really hesitant to let go of their fear and accept that it just takes hard work. Building wealth, being in shape, it just takes hard work. And there's no, no one's going to give you a cheat code. And the message that you deliver, the message that we deliver, that always runs afoul of this fallacy of, I can be on social media in a couple months with the amazing body or with the really expensive car and like living life. And some people just aren't ready for that message. Well, here's here's an example of like how I would use that strategy for like what you guys like. And then this this title would probably make you cringe. Like um, the the five fastest ways to make a million dollars off your investments. Oh, cringe. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, it's OK. Geez. So but, but it's true. I but I could it, yeah. also see how I could knowing your content, I could I could help you take your the way you co communicate something and actually still ha have that title and then deliver that message and and part of that would be like debunking that listen there is nothing fast about you know making a million dollars in investing it, you're probably going to lose this much and this, and and so then i feel like 
you but then you go but you know here's five ways that if you get really good at this that this is eventually going to pay you back this way if you get really good at this you're going to if you trust this process this will come to you so this is the five fastest ways that i believe to get there now fast may mean 10 years yeah. i mean that's where this and you have the ability in a long form podcast to explain that but the power of that title you can't deny on and, and we're in this battle of you got three to five seconds to grab somebody's attention. And if your title does not stop somebody from scrolling and looking at booty pics, you're just not going to get your message out there. And so that was this hard transition to go to is like, how do we take our message, but then use some of these tactics and then also not be a bait and switch either, because I don't think that's fair either, because we made that mistake of like, OK, we're going to use this title and then we're going to talk about something that has like nothing to really do with that. We just want to get them in and then we'll, we'll win them over. And that would piss a lot of people off. Like, wait, you, you didn't even talk about those things. Like, OK, we can't do that. So we can't do the bait and switch thing with that. So how do we cut? And so we've had to learn to take these these tactics, but then still also deliver our authentic message around those topics. And there is a way to do it. And it's taken practice and a while to do it. But it was it's something that we were super reluctant to do for a really long time. And I think hurt us. I get it. I've seen the evolution of your guys YouTube where I think it's the most visually apparent because you also have thumbnails and everything else. I've seen that evolution from you guys in the brand where you, you clearly have like the light bulb moment went on and your content kind of started to grow pretty quickly on it. Not that I stalk you guys as YouTubers, <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I may have seen it. Hey, we I mean, I got a stage five clinger over here. Hey, yeah. no, listen, I, I actually get mad when I meet somebody who is trying to scale a business, even though you're doing something that's different than Mind Pump. It's like there's so much you can learn just from digging through our stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it's not it's not. So that's the part for me about social media and just marketing in general. I'm a business person. I'm not a marketing person. Right. So I, I don't inherently know those things. I know enough to know that I don't know them, but there's so much. Like the show, you guys make it look so seamless and so like a thoughtful dis discussion. We watched you guys before and, and Sal pretty much one taking everything on the exit. It looked like he'd rehearsed all that. And it, clearly he hadn't. He's just done it a lot. And you guys have this this practice repetition that that's the consumer comes through as you guys want it to clear, concise. But it seems so much easier. So when you start to unpeel things like we have today, you realize the complexity behind these things. It, it's not easy. Ironically, what, what's come across more than anything else, I don't know about you, during, during the show, it, is there's so much entrepreneurial spirit with you guys. You oh, get, yeah. Everything you guys have talked about has been a business decision. And now I get it. When we first started talking, like there was a bigger picture here, bigger play. Well, yeah, there, there's so many untouched avenues. You got a lot of low-hanging fruit you guys can still go after after all this. Well, stuff. that is actually so when I get asked the question of, you know, what is the hardest thing you have to deal with with the business today? Uh, my answer is knowing what to say no to. There is we're we're at a point now that there is and even like what you brought up, like, you know, why don't you do this? And you have all these ideas on how to build a network under our network. And it's like, oh, yeah, there's a lot. We could sit down. I'll write a whole list of other great ideas where there's lots of money to be made. And it's a, and, it all, and you can see how it all works out. But it's knowing that you got so many irons in the fire already. You have so much potential in all these other areas is knowing what to say no to. And part of what was our Achilles heel for a while, too, was. You know, we were we, we get so excited about each opportunity that, it, we, you know, we're like squirrel, squirrel, squirrel. And we would start to build that and it would generate a little bit of revenue. So we get excited about it. Oh, then another opportunity. Then we do that. And, start, and then and then what we started to notice is that this thing that was really moving the needle for us was getting less and less and less attention because we were constantly chasing all these other great ideas that we love. 
And so we've gotten better about saying no most of the time. And like, it's got to be, you got to really convince me that this is the best thing to do right now. Because the way we all look at it now is like, this thing is, is scaling month over month, year over year, and has been for almost eight years now. So all these ideas we have don't go away in a year. In fact, they only get easier to accomplish as, as they get, as they get bigger. So it's kind of like, you know, is that something that makes a lot of sense to do right at this moment? Uh, if it does, and we all agree, it's something we do, but it's been uh, a lot of practice to know how to say no to a lot of stuff and a lot of opportunities. And that's probably been one of the biggest challenges where we're at now, which is cool. I mean, it's a good right. problem to have. Yeah. 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 And, it, yeah. And, it, and it's fun. It's also what, um, you know, it's neat is and you guys have probably experienced this as entrepreneurs is, you know, after you kind of like go after something, you build it, you kind of prove the model and you, and you do it and then kind of like the honeymoon phase wears off. Like, you know, almost everything turns to work and then you don't love it. This is not, done that and it hasn't for any of us yeah eight years into doing this i can swear to god i love what we're doing today more than i did even when those butterflies of the first weeks and months and the first bit of it taken off and like i i was extremely excited then i'm more excited today about it than i would to come to work and to do the things that we do like i'm i'm really proud of all of us we've done a really good job and that's another thing with the saying no to stuff is like we also have to visualize like okay yeah say it makes all this money will we like doing that you know will we enjoy that will it fulfill us if we're successful at it like what does it give us besides just more money into the business and if we can't all go like, I would love that, or that sounds amazing, or like, I, then maybe we don't want to do that right now. And, you know, there's other, there's, we've already built enough things that we really, really love. Why don't we put a little more energy back into those things because we, we enjoy them so much before we venture out and do these other things that maybe we won't love that much, you know? So that's a, that's a big part of, I think, what keeps that, the success going and why we all enjoy it. It's pretty cool. And that's never happened in my life. I've done a lot of different things in my life and even stuff that I've, I've had success and I've enjoyed doing the honeymoon phase kind of wears off. And then like anything else becomes a job and it's just like, yeah, I can do it. And it makes the money, but I'm less passionate about it. The passion is deeper today. It feels like you guys have that like sports team camaraderie where you got, you know what I mean? It's like you can tell a good team has that good bond. Like congratulations to you and the Warriors. Why? Uh, thank you. Yeah, I know you. Uh, I know you like that. Uh, thank yeah. you. Actually, yeah. in our meetings, I actually label all the all the all the people as all the players from the Warriors, which only somebody who follows the Warriors or Warriors would appreciate that. One of my favorite books is a short read. It's a Mark Cuban's book. Uh, I think it's called The Sports of Business or The Business of Sports. It's a really quick, easy read. Um, but I think it really is an example of like how we operate here. Something else that's really kind of crazy. Uh, we get into like heated conversations, like yelling at each other, like just yeah. heated. Whereas somebody outside looking in, like it's really funny when somebody who's a, a newer employee or some of that, that they could catch it. Like, oh my God, they get all freaked out. Like it's because they haven't seen it yet. But and so he covers this in his book, like, and I, and I believe this and so do my partners. Like, I want you to be passionate about what you believe in. And if I think that we should go this direction and I feel really confident about it and you don't and you I bring it, bring it and argue with me and you bring your point as hard as you can. And because I'm going to bring mine, I'm not going to just settle for your, oh, I don't like that idea. Fuck you. Here's yeah, my yeah, exactly. why. And, I, and I'm going to keep laying <laughs> it down. That. And so we actually thrive in that which reminds me if you ever played sport i played sports growing up i know you guys played sports so like 
I, you Basically, love, he's saying you don't look. You played sports. Well, I, Clearly, I, I'm played, I mean, I broke yeah, my yeah. own record. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, and and if you played sports, you appreciate that, right? That that it, like be able to like get after each other, and then you you all rise to the occasion. And you you're not the type of person. We're none of us are the type of person that you get yelled at and you cower down, and now you're angry, and you're now you're going to be passive aggressive for a week. It's like it light. We get all excited about it, and we literally will yell at each other like that and then it'll go 30 minutes rah, 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 back and forth and rah, go separate ways slam shit and then 15 minutes later be like okay cool you don't want to do this and it's like as if it didn't happen and that's much, the way it should is, be it's pretty much me every day yeah, 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 yeah. i'm the visceral one clearly yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> i mean we got, look into our relationship all the time they're like how do you not get uncomfortable i'm like if you think this is the first time that he's talking to me like this like you don't know the i'm still history. waiting for the day for you to pop yeah, off like yeah. there's, there's gonna well, be a day i mean i'm i want to commend adam here for sitting here this whole time and not making a single comment about Chris's shirt. <laughs> yeah, it, is, it is a little bit loud and ostentatious. Yeah, I feel like if I was feeling my own I wish you had a video morning, for yeah. this. Yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you guys got it. I'll send it over to you. You guys yeah. do whatever you want with it for sure. <laughs> I love that environment, though. I really think that it, it fosters, a, a, and it's unique, right? Not everybody can handle that. It takes a lot of control, uh, self-awareness, uh, to be able to dissolve the ego like that. Um but I do. I mean, I, I love that. You know, it's normally Sal and I. We're probably the most vocal when it comes to that stuff. Justin and Doug, which creates nice balance, too, because if all four of us were screaming at each other like that, it'd be maybe a little too chaotic. The fact that the two of them can kind of sit back and just observe and let it happen. And then afterwards, they'll kind of put their little input in like, yeah, you know, Adam makes some good point. We should probably do this. Or, you know, Sal, I think is right on this one. Why don't we why don't we pump our brakes and only move like this? Like and then what we will do is after that heated argument, we will agree that, okay, we're going to go Adam's way or, oh, we're going to go Sal's way. And one of the things that has to happen in an environment like that is you have to agree that when we agree to go in a, a direction, like let's say we take Sal's direction, it is no longer Sal's direction. It is my direction as much as it is his direction. Mm -hmm. So if and when it potentially fails, right? he didn't, it's not a, I told you we shouldn't have done that. Yeah, we should have yeah. went my way. Right. It's like, Okay, it failed. Now we go the other way, and we and it, it is what it is. And that, that's the way it should be. I mean, yep. that, that's the way all publicly traded companies work, right? The company fails. The company fails. It's not. It's not the individuals, the managers that are behind it that made the unilateral decisions. Exactly. It's rare that, that actually gets portrayed that way. And, and that's the way this this is run. You guys are essentially running a public company just together, which is which is a beautiful thing to say. So I want to be mindful of the time. We've kept you on for a long time, and I appreciate all the, all the questions and answers. I, I do have kind of a, a parting thing that I wanted to say to you. Say and I were talking before we before we linked up and we've both been in, immensely appreciative of everything you and the guys have done uh, for us. It, the, the shout out, I don't think either one of us ever thought about. And, and frankly, we value you as a friend. So thank you so much. And Doug, you're amazing. Appreciate you, brother. Yeah. Thank you guys very much. I, we appreciate it. And you didn't have to do that. And uh, it went a long way. I know that. I like you guys, though. I really I like what you're doing. I like you guys as people. Um, and I hope that this turns into more than just a friendship. Like I think and at bare minimum, I'm happy that we've made the step in that direction. I know we didn't talk about it on the show, but uh, the way this all played out was um, I was a total asshole to Chris and DMs. Nah. I don't know. Did he tell you how yeah. this went down? Yeah, actually. Oh, yeah. Actually, yeah. actually, here's the story, there's story, a, story a, you don't know. Yeah, there's a back is I went into the office and I saw, I think I messaged you. I'm like, look how much of a dick Adam was. Oh, <laughs> really? Oh, shit. You didn't tell me that. Yeah, no, 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 yeah. I was like, no, because I, I was really starting to get into Mind Pump and we were, I was like, hey, dude, um, 
you know, more and more listen to Mind Pump, you remind me a lot of Adam, you know? <laughs> and then he goes, let me show you how big of a dick Adam is. <laughs> I felt really bad. And so, so I can excuse myself a little bit. Like, so the, the, at one point, and I'm sure you're there right now where you, you're, and you are really good about like answering everybody. Like you engage with all of your audience and you answer DMs. I really can't good. imagine how hard that is for you guys. It's, it's impossible. Hard, it's hard for me. Yeah. We, it's we should impossible. also clarify that it was a misunderstanding that Adam was not being a dick. No, yeah, that's yeah, why yeah, I yeah. will. Let me, uh, let me, yeah, let me, yeah, let me, yeah. let me backpedal for for the audience who doesn't know the story so this is the first interaction that chris and i had um a, quite a while ago now and uh we so first of all let, let me even backpedal even further it's impossible now for me to answer all my dms so what i've done for my audience uh, is to still commit to trying to answer as much as i, as I dedicated day where you see me on my on my Instagram where I do the questions and oh, you that, see me when you do it. That, yeah. That's hard to do. Dude. Oh, yeah. And I commit to the day that I'm going to get through as me and I never get through all of them, but There's I no commit way. that I'm going to get through as many as I can. And, and we I, should commend uh, your wife, Katrina, for like giving you this time to do yeah. that. Right. Well, like, that's why I only yeah. take one day because yeah. I would never <laughs> be an asshole and try and because everybody was like, well, why don't you do that? I was like, come on. It takes me all day to do that. And I am literally disconnected from my wife that day. I am. Not, and I try and plan it when I actually had like, for example, I don't have her today. So like this would be a day I would do that. So anyways. When I'm doing that, I I am so I'm moving so fast. It's like, and you get like sometimes I'm a smart ass, and so I answer a good question deep. And but I am like this, like just quick, 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 just answering as much as I can. And Chris's comes in, and when I read it, the way I read it in my head was, and people ask this all the time, is I thought he was saying like, hey, I'd be a great guest on your show. You you know, we should do something like that. Like I can't I'm remember. Sexy, these, damn it, put me on the show. Yeah, I mean, he is yeah. that arrogant. Yeah. Oh wow. I, yeah, I totally thought he was inviting himself to our show. Yeah. At this point, I have no idea about him. I don't always do anything at this point, right? So he, I, I think he's inviting himself on our show and I do get this a lot and it annoys makes me. Sense. Because, I look like that kind of asshole. It makes oh, sense. <laughs> I was like, it's like, it's, a, it's one of my pet peeves that some people do because yeah, I'm like, be mine too. I, get it. I would never do like, I would never DM Joe Rogan and be like, yo Joe. And I know I'm, putting myself in that category, I should have yeah. picked something a little more realistic. Like, okay, like Tom Bilyeu, right? I would never go into Tom Bilyeu's DMs and be like, hey, Tom, I'd be a great guest for your show. <laughs> so I totally thought that's yeah. what he was doing. And I get that a lot. And so I said something smart out back. Like, I think it told him like, you know, probably be a better strategy if you had one of me or my co-host on your show. I spent like a solid like six hours trying to figure out what the hell he was talking about. I'm like, what? What? And then he responded back to me like, uh, yeah, no, of course, that's what I meant. And then I'm like, what do you mean that's what you meant? So then I went back and re read it and went oh fuck he did mean that <laughs> yeah, like yeah, it's totally yeah. say is, is a curious thing about this whole thing because for you to go back and read it after all the messages you get because i know how many i get and i can only imagine how many you get did you go back and read it that there, there must have been something there call it fate or kiss me or whatever it might have been but that yeah you, know, you might yeah. be right i well i knew i was a dick right so I, i'm not like a i, I oh, can't you were trying to troll me that's what it was even though i i am i am the, the resident asshole here uh, <laughs> when i i the, the self-awareness side of me right. does after the emotional reaction or fire or whatever that i do i try and always like okay was i out of line or did that person deserve what they got like yeah. i try and, and tr trust me many times i'm like yeah that mother Fucker deserve that, yeah, so good, whatever. Good for you. But sometimes I go like, mm, that wasn't very professional. Or, mm, I probably could have handled that different, right? And so it was one of those moments. It was like you you responded still even after I was a dick, and then the way you responded was like, that's what I meant. And I'm like, so then I went and looked at it again. I went, oh my god, he did not, he did not say it that way. I was totally out of line, and then I apologized. But that is actually what made me then like look at your page, and then I started going, okay, let me see who this guy is. So I started going through the content, and I'm like, 
oh shit, I like a lot of this. I really like a lot of this stuff. And I think I followed shortly thereafter. And then we started a conversation like that. Yeah, yeah. I deleted yeah. my RGB bundle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Give me my refund, asshole. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but this, is a, this is a good lesson for like all our kids. You know, it's like if someone misunderstands something, you know, you could still turn it around by being a class act. And you know what? Another lesson in there is that he easily, and what I told him on the phone was, because you handled me correctly and you didn't fire back and be a dick back to me because you could easily been like, fuck right. you, I'm refunding my RGB bundle <laughs> yeah. and you're a bigger asshole yeah. than I thought. Or you could have anabolic. Yeah. Right. He could have totally said something back to Probably me. Probably can't. It worked for me. So right. yeah. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> he could have stoked the fire and, and fired back at me and, and had been in every right to do that in that situation because I was out of line. But because he didn't, that's part of what made me really go look was because it's like, oh shit, this was my bad, you know? And like, I thought that was cool that I did fire off like that and he had the, the smarts to not fire back at me and like stoke the fire more because I then I wouldn't have looked. It's, it, God, this has been such a problem for me. As, as an executive at a publicly traded institution, one of the things I'm always worried about is like shareholders, the board. I mean, it takes one person to make a complaint to like one of the regulators for this all to be like an investigation. And everything I put out there, whether it's in private message or not, has to be somewhat visible in the worst case of scenario that somebody wants to come after me. So because of that, I'm always had. So there's so many trolls. I want to respond back and be like, you motherfucker. Like, I want to go off on people, but yeah, I can't. Yeah. yeah. And I never do. But I, I just figured you were busy. To be honest well, with you. you know what? We and I learned this the hard way um, that we 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 are. So, and you're going to have the same problem because you guys are very much so like this where you fire each other. You talk shit to each other a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, it's more like me talking shit. To him, <laughs> yeah. But I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a little a little something that will come your way. This is going to happen because it happens to us all the time now. And I did not have the foresight for this was that you when you listen to a podcast you you start to build the relationship with the host like you also feel like you're a friend so sometimes and sometimes people and the way i found this out I, i'd go i have the access of our software hubspot i can look at, i can look at what you guys own just by looking up your social i can find out what you own of mine what you've read of mine i can look at all that stuff yeah i can see all of your movement and traction through my website what you've read articles i can see all that stuff mm -hmm. right he's like TikTok. So, fascinating analytics like TikTok. yeah reading your keystrokes yeah, <laughs> yeah kind of like that right yeah kinda like, we're like china kind yeah, of you know what I'm <laughs> no so what happened what has happened multiple times is somebody will like talk shit to me and they'll say something rude or but it's text and so i don't get their tone and i don't get they're trying to razz me and have fun and they own seven of my programs and they listen to every podcast oh, yeah. but because they know i'm a smart aleck and, and we're all witty and maybe and maybe too sometimes they don't have very good delivery like because a lot of times we'll be like that was a terrible way to say that yeah, if you want to talk everyone some thinks shit. they're a comedian yeah, yeah. everybody <laughs> thinks they're funny and so it kind of gives them the green light to be that way with us and they all want to be cool and, and be like friends of ours and so i've had to be careful because the early Earlier on, I would fire back and kind of go go in on somebody who like fired at me like that, and then they, and then they always be like, "Oh, dude, I'm just, I'm so sorry. Like, I, I'm a huge fan of show." And then I'm like, "Oh shit, dude, I got to be careful of that because a lot of these people are big fans and they listen and they just." They don't have the best delivery, or they want to razz me the that's same really way we smart of you, yeah. we razz you. So be careful, because that's going to mm -hmm. come your way. Up until recently, I had a solution for this, and then something came up that threw a wrench in my work. So I would always send people just if I didn't know what you were saying, <laughs> I would send you an eggplant emoji. Like that, that was my automatic response to you, right? Like I figured, good or bad, you're going to get the message, right? But then 44 percent of people in China who were polled thought that meant an eggplant. Yeah. So, what does so, this mean? Oh, is that true? Yeah, they did a study oh, recently where they like oh, asked you, they asked, I don't know who the hell was like, let's ask people in China. What a great 
stat. What they I didn't think. know that. So, they, yeah. so 44 percent of the people polled, like they said, hey, is is does this mean anything to you? They're like, yes, eggplant. And of course, the other, you know, 56 percent were like penis. Yeah. But you know, so yeah. like those, so 44 percent of the people I was sending it to were like, why would he send me that? Yeah. So yeah. now I don't know if it's effective enough <laughs> as, like, as, as a response. What like, a great stat! I did not yeah, know. Maybe that. I should yeah. use like a, I don't know, a baguette or something. Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> well, I learned the hard way. The uh, so this was so funny. So we have young trainers, young staff, right? I'm 40, uh, and we have staff that are teens and 20s and I had a, a girl thank God she's am a, I the oldest guy in the room please tell me that's no, not true no, Doug, yeah. Doug's got no, you no no you just, you just how look how old are you Doug oh thank God yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> alright so we have some employees <laughs> right Doug. Yeah. that are um that are in obviously in their twenties and stuff like that, way more hip and and up to speed on on uh, culture and and pop culture and stuff now, right? And uh, I I would communicate with her. She's like she was like twenty two or like that. It's a foreign language at that point, man. Yeah, they they yeah. I got younger siblings. So and I always thought like the the purple devil is just like ha 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 like type of deal like that. Yeah, oh yeah, no yeah. no, there's implications. Yeah for yeah, that there's like yeah, a, yeah, yeah. That means. That's like yeah, a sexual I, thing. Oh, it's a sexual oh, deviant no, thing. Yeah yeah, yeah, that's yeah, like yeah. I, I want you, or that's like a yeah, yeah, that's like a naughty thing. Yeah. And so <laughs> I the be, old six nine text like yeah. you send a number and then six nine yeah, afterwards. Yeah, yeah. For people out there who don't understand what I'm talking about, it's called pagers and beepers. Look them up. Google's your friend. But yeah, exactly the same thing. Like you meant naughty intentions. Yeah. Oh yeah, so gosh. I would like send her like these like clever ideas like for Instagram posts or things like that, and yeah. I'd send the purple thing all the time. <laughs> she she probably let me do it for like six months or so, and then she finally said, "Hey, you know, you probably shouldn't send me that." And I'm like, "What? What do you? What, why? I mean, I, you I, you get what I mean? I'm going ha ha like type of deal." And she was like, "No, no, no, that's not what that means. That's more like that's you use that like when you're texting someone you want to have sex with that." And I'm like, "What? What? I've been yeah. using that purple guy for all kinds of shit." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How many people have I offered penis to? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, like, oh, we're so embarrassed after that. I was like, oh, I had man. no idea. So, yeah. I've got so many of those. Always I, I've, I've got younger siblings, man. And, and every single time like, I think I'm hip again or cool again, they say some stuff like this. It's terrible. And I'll be the first person to say, I don't want to alienate the young, younger audience. I can't. I've been going to the gym, right? And I don't. I, I like to listen to music when I work out. I cannot put it on a hip hop station and press play anymore. It's not the same. Modern day hip hop is not the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, so, it's so not. And I'm not even trying to be like, I like. It's just bad. I'm stuck in Nas and Big and Tupac and all those, and I just I can't deviate. But all right, let's wrap it up. You want to make a fat joke? You want your way yeah. out for Saeed? I'm actually. I think he looks great. Did oh, I know? Yeah, yeah. I expected this like you, super Thank fat you. guy yeah. to come walking in. I was I, like, I need to clip that. That's going to be my first post on social media <laughs> right there. Yo, Adam says I look great. Yeah. <laughs> you got a man on you camera that, lying to you. Yeah. It's good stuff. Good outfit. stuff, man. Yeah. We'll have to do. We'll have to do it again for sure, you guys. For 100%. sure, we will do it again when Saeed loses a couple pounds. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Higher Standard Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you are listening to this on. If you like this episode, please write a review and share it with us. You're getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase what's possible when leaders decide to uphold a higher standard for their businesses, their investments, their families, and most importantly, themselves. If you want to see more of my content, I post daily on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. So be sure to follow me on your favorite social media platform. And with that, it is a wrap. And as always, I look forward to hanging with you all on the next episode.